Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. episode 111 and this is the sixth anniversary part one for december mmx8 back with the oracle is brought to you by back to the bins presents avengers spotlight hey everybody i'm paul spataro i don't know if you know me but i'm a regular on back to the bins along with my friends dr bill robinson hello and mr scott gardner hey how's it going Andy's been asking us for a promo for the show for the longest time, and Bill has been writing it for the longest time. Bill, you got that promo written yet? Uh... Okay, so, anyway, what we do is we review three comic books. We try to do it every week. Usually it's a Marvel, a DC, and a Captain Canuck book for Scott. So... Tune in every week to Back to the Bins to listen to our show. You can find us at 2TrueFreaks.com. 
Mackerel the Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, that's okay, because Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prices you may encounter are March's Background number 50 and Gotham Academy number 16, both for $2.60. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out MileHighComics.com. And finally, Backworld the Oracle is a proud member of the Batman Universe family of podcasts. Hashtag TV family. Well, it is an anniversary episode, and as faithful listeners will know, I try to hold nothing back and really go all out, and I am doubling the amount of cast members on this one and bringing four big hitters that reach for the fence, just like Babe Ruth or that kid in the sandbox. So here with me today are the foot fetish, piglet-loving man, who's also the best friend of Shag, Donovan Morgan Grant. Science Officer Grant, reporting for booty. <laughs> no shave November. And just the expert, the go-to man for Superman, Michael Bailey. I think that's like no shave for the rest of my life at this <laughs> point. So. Oh, I am uh, scruffy. Yes. Well, I saw your picture and I thought, oh, look at that. It's, he's got a beard. Bertoni, is there really any introduction that I can make for him? I don't think so, babes, because as you know, I'm number one and you're number two. I hated that then, and I hate it now. And finally, my co-conspirator against all things Shag Matthews, the great Tom Panarese. Now with 100% less Frappuccino noise in the background. <laughs> That's us, or Mexican salsa dancing. Yes. Oh, speaking of Shag, I just got a text from him saying, uh, tell them all that I sent my love, except Don. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> he, he, he knows what Don did <laughs> It's true, it's true Well, the reason why all these greats are on the show Is because we're just going to blast through Four, well, I guess three major storylines That Barbara Gordon pops in and appears And one larger issue that she appears and each of these people have... We call them drive-bys. Drive-bys, where I come from. okay. And each of these people has an expertise in these. Uh, so we've got Nightfall, and Donovan's going to be taking care of that. Oh, yes. Hero Hour, Michael Bailey's heading that one up. Here. And Prodigal, which Tom Panarese is going to take the reins on. So basically, we're going to have some discussions on what these stories are, our history with them, and then what Babs had to do with them. So that's sort of the thing that we're do. But this is, I think, a nice time to do it and an anniversary and just get a lot of wonderful people with expertise greater than mine and talking about these uh, different stories. Like I said, we're going to go through what these stories are. The leaders of these particular stories is going to give us a broad overview of what it is, maybe have some short discussion questions for the panel. And then if Babs appears, which she does, because there's a reason why these stories are on here, what is her role in this? And then we can, of course, discuss that. But now I'm going to turn the floor over to Donovan, who's going to talk to us a little bit about Nightfall. 
Hello. Good evening. <laughs> so I was on this show recently, and I uh, waxed poetic about my certain love for Bat- of Batman comics in the 90s. And Stella and I talked about the Sword of Azrael four-part miniseries. And that's pertinent because that is the I, that plus the uh, Legends of the Dark Knight four-part series, uh, or I think it's five-part series, um, Venom, both married and had a kid called Nightfall. Now, everyone knows Nightfall as the big Bane story. It's a story where he kind of broke Batman's back, and Batman was replaced what by What do you Sean mean, Batman. kind of? Yeah, I was going to ask that, too. <laughs> he tripped on the stairs and snapped his back. I, think, I believe it's Tom's favorite story in the world. Mm. But uh, even more so than Tom, this is by far and away my favorite Batman crossover in the world. I love Nightfall. Why? Because it rules. But also, there's just so many things to like about it. I love the fact that the first part has Batman and Robin playing catch-up, fighting their uh, Rose Gallery. You really see the human side of Batman trying to kind of push beyond his 0% limit of... Uh, you know, fighting guys like the Firefly and Mr. Zaz and the Joker and all those guys. It's really great. And then, and, you know, we, we do get an introduction of Bane. And I know Bane is a very, like, you know, 90s kind of villain. But I quite like Bane a lot. And I think that, like, uh, he was written by some of the best scribes that Batman's ever seen. Chuck Dixon, Alan Grant, Doug Mensch. You know, like, like the, the classics, truly. Uh, coupled with great art from Graham Nolan, Jim Aparo, Man Lee, Brett Blevins, even uh, Tom Grummet. Like, it's just, it is, this is like the golden age of Batman for me. And although there is, Nightfall is kind of uh, segregated into a, a several parts. You have part one, Broken Bat, part two, Who Rules the Night. Then you have Night's Quest slash Night's Search, then Night's End. But this is one of those stories that, like, it kind of leads to the decade of crossovers between Contagion, Legacy, Cataclysm, Actor Shocks, Road to No Man's Land, No Man's Land, all that kind of stuff. But uh, this is one of those stories that just people just tend to remember 20 years on. And I think one main question I, I think would be an interesting thing to start off with. Now that uh, continuity has been, you know, beaten with a bat since the start of the New 52 four years ago, they vaguely have... No bias there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not a biased, uh, prejudiced person. Of course not. But they have actually vaguely referenced Nightfall. They've not said anything specific because they're cowards. DC Comics. They have... <laughs> Again, no bias. <laughs> they have referenced the idea Batman uh, once got hurt by Bane. You know, Bane is a character. He, he brags about breaking the bat, although we don't see any of that. There's no real reference to Jean-Paul Valley, the Order of St. Dumas, Azrael, any of that. But the general concept, the, the general conceit of Nightfall is somewhat intact. Now, I mentioned before that, like, the previous storylines that really shaped the post-crisis Batman continuity headed by the Denny O'Neill office of, of Batman writers, you know, No Man's Land, Contagion, all that kind of stuff. Those are all great stories, but Nightfall is, I think, the one that really has uh, st- stood the test of time. Uh, at least, at least in mainstream Batman comics fans or mainstream comic fans, like people all remember Nightfall. Do you guys think? And I'll start with Stella because she's the host. Do you think that Nightfall is one of those stories that was good in its own right since she's read it, or do you think do you think it stands the test of time and you wouldn't want it to see removed from the history of Batman? Do you think that it's you know it was a good story, but do you think that this is one of those things like the death of Jason Todd or Dick Grayson becoming Nightwing, where you couldn't really change it? And you want to see it continue from here on out the rest of the history of Batman. Do you think you could kind of take it or leave it ultimately? So is it sort of a standalone that could stand without or on the outside of continuity? Or should it always be involved in continuity? Is that another way to rephrase yeah, your question? Like, like if we're going to keep Bane, does Bane have to break Batman's back? Or can he like, you know, does Nightfall not have to exist essentially? Well, I guess we've sort of seen that it doesn't necessarily, besides, you know, some minor 
references to it, we haven't really seen any big impact with it. I mean, Bane has, of course, popped up when all the Arkham inmates were running amok during that month with villains. But other than that, you haven't really seen much of an interaction or relationship between Batman and Bane. So I think it's proved that you could potentially have a continuity devoid of this. But I think after reading this and and all three parts, which certainly was a labor of love, and, and I sped through it because I really enjoyed it, I think that it's a story that really needs to, to keep in the Batman history and mythos and should have a deeper place in Batman continuity, no matter where that may take us or may go. I love you. Uh, Mike? Uh, I'll agree with that. I think uh, I think Nightfall, of all the Batman crossovers of the 90s, is the one that kind of stand on, stands on its own. Uh, and also, you couldn't have the rest of them without Nightfall. And I mean that on two levels. One it proved sales-wise that such a thing can work. So they uh, they obviously wanted to continue with that, even when they did their moratorium for like two years of not having crossovers and found that, it that you know, basically crossovers sold better, so it really didn't do much. <laughs> Doing a moratorium really wasn't, didn't do much to make the fans happy, I guess is the way to say that. <laughs> but Nightfall on its own is a fantastic story. Uh, I will accept no arguments that Bane is uh, is not a good character. I think he's one of the best Batman villains ever created. Absolutely. Uh, certainly the best one of the 90s. Uh, I know a lot of people have problems with him, and to those of you that are like, well, Christopher Nolan finally got him right, uh, I want to punch you in the face. Figuratively, <laughs> not literally. Your punishment should be more severe. <laughs> Yeah, because I want Euro Trash Bane. That's uh, that 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 that's that's my jam. Uh, no, I, I I think I think it needs to be part of the continuity. I think if you're going to get into the five the five year timeline, you uh, it's problematic because of how much you have to work into those five years. Mm-hmm. But I just I think throwing it away is a mistake because it's a powerful story. And uh, also, I, I, I apologize. I was uh, there, there's a song out right now called "I Just Want to Take Your Time." Uh, I forget who sings it, but uh, it played at work a lot, and I was trying to rework it as the Bane song. I just want to break your spine. Wow! And it's just uh, I just haven't had time to work on it. I apologize for that. Oh, one one other thing before I turn it over to the next person, you can complain about Batman continuity in the New Fifty Two all you want. Try being a Superman fan, and you can go f yourself. Oh but Mike, he clearly died after Flashpoint, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here's the thing about Nightfall. We, a lot of people brag on the 90s, you know, when it comes to, like, other stuff. Like, oh, look at Sue Storm's costume, you know. Isn't that, you know, trashy? Or, you know, or look at this Rob Liefeld art. Isn't that this? And But for some reason, Batman books seem to get a pass, you know, because they say, oh, it was meant to be, you know, as Bats was meant to. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. I'm reading Tom's cards. No. Um, <laughs> Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, Tom. <laughs> I've actually never podcasted with him before, so I hope that that that's didn't great. What if he hung up, up on it? I have to check. He's still here. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm here. Oh dear. He's talking get... fun. Uh, yeah. Why, does, gonna... why do I hear the sound of Tom building a rifle? Because baby, now we got bad love. You know we used to be mad love. So take a look what you've done. Cause baby 
<laughs> okay, so Nightfall. I, I enjoy it. It's I don't think it's my favorite of the Batman crossovers, but I think it's the archetype of what, you know, the Batman crossovers would eventually become, like Donovan said, where even though the events of Nightfall don't lead into stuff like No Man's Land or Legacy, it kind of, you know, set up, you know, that the kind of Batman family crossover style in the 90s. And it brings a lot of things, you know, back into focus. It started Robin's solo series, and it brought Nightwing back into the Bat books. It has some great art. I love the Tom Grummet art in Night's End. And I never really liked the Asriel aspect of it that much, but I like the things surrounding it. Uh, I mean, I guess we can get into more of what I didn't like about the Asriel parts, like later when we, if we are discussing, like, are, are we are we going more into it or are we just Not doing really. our general? No. Okay. <laughs> Say now. Okay. Well. Okay. Well, Asriel tries to murder Batman. He like blows up the Batmobile and Nightwing goes crazy. So like, it's weird for me that like in other crossovers afterwards, he's pals with them and everyone's like, hey, it's Asriel, and like Nightwing and him are teaming up doing stuff, and it's like, dude, you were. Trying to kill each other. Like, it was not a longer. system, you see. He, he he tried to murder Batman. Um, and Robin. I wish. Look, I why wish... don't Luther and Chloe Sullivan can have Thanksgiving dinner together? I no, think, that uh... bothers me too. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that always bothered me. He had no right to be at that Thanksgiving table. <laughs> if I uh, could have everyone's attention, please, um, I'd like to make a little announcement. Um, our family has a tradition that goes back way before I was even born, where everyone takes a moment to say what they're most thankful for in their lives. I would just like to say that I'm most thankful for my mom and dad. faith in me taught me to have faith in myself thank you Okay, I spoke a lot recently on podcasts, no matter what show it is, because it's Smallville, and some of the art isn't the greatest. Like, like when when I've tried to reread parts of Night Quest, I don't like it as much. But I think that Nightfall, you know, yeah. does set up a lot of things in the '90s. And can you have Bane without Nightfall? Yeah, I guess you can because you had him without Nightfall in the animated series and in you know uh, other stuff. So. You, you can, you just have to define him in other ways. Like, he can't always be the guy who broke Batman's back, because then you're just having a character be based on that one story. There's got to be more the Craven than Craven's Last Hunt. There's got to be more the, uh, you know, like uh, Lex Luthor than the 5,000 miles or 500, whatever, whatever miles from Metropolis story where he messes with that waitress who tries to kill him, like, oh, later on in the thousands. Yeah. For some reason, she's still wearing the same waitress uniform when she attacks him, even though she lost her <laughs> The supervillain identity. Yeah. I have not read Nightfall in 20 years and don't have the required postgraduate work to really comment. But I will say that just going back through my, my fuzzy memory, I do remember that this was a time where you really did feel like the under the editorial ship of – Denny O'Neill, things really did finally coalesce to where everything seemed to be working, you know, all at once. Whereas prior to this, it was 
Um, and I think I think I'm just really reiterating something Mike said over on um, uh, when you were when you were doing Nightfall with Trentus on Trentus Magnus Punch Reality that most of Batman from about Batman 401 to about the early 90s was it's uneven in a lot of regards. There's some the Max Allen yeah. Collins stuff is not that great. Um, you're being charitable, sir. <laughs> I mean, let's let's take Frank Miller out of the equation here because you know, I mean, I love Year One and and everything, but like you know, if we're just kind of talking about like the ongoing, you know, teams. Um, you didn't like the mime issue. <laughs> the what? The mime issue? Oh, no. <laughs> but but you have but you have highlights. You have high points. You have you know, definitely a lonely place of dying. Um, some of the stuff that Wolfman did, the Alan Grant, Norm Brayfogle stuff is. Hell yeah. Superb. But here you have a storyline that really kind of brings it all together um, and gets something going that does carry them very, very well through most of the rest of the decade. Granted, I owe any of my Batman related reading from Nightfall on to Chuck Dixon because when I look back and see what I was collecting from after Night's End to when I finally just dropped the Batman titles I was reading, I think I was, I think it was Robin Nightwing and detective. And I think those were all written by Chuck mm-hmm. Dixon. Cause I am not much of a fan of Doug Mensch, Doug Mensch's Batman. Um, and, uh, and I think when Kelly Jones was on the title, I was just like, I, that, and I was a poor ass college student. So <laughs> there's only so many books I could read a month, but I do, I do think it's important. DC seems to, not really care much about its history at this point anyway. So whether or not it has to be in continuity, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't really read, I read zero year. I think it's the only current Batman storyline that I've read. So I'm not even, not even up to date on that. And I mean, to the point where I've, uh, the only DC comic I'm reading is Batgirl. So I will concede the floor to you guys as as far as whether or not Bane should be in continuity or any of this because I'm just really not versed on it. Well, I mean, I don't, again, I bring it up because, you know, there's always no- – Ever since Jason Todd was killed by the Joker, they've kept on reiterating that story. I was like, well, that's a really good story. Let's do it again. So they kept that in the post-Flashpoint, New 52, whatever they're calling it. And whenever Bane comes up, they've kept references to him breaking Batman's back as well. So I thought it was along the same lines of this seems to be a a through thread that they like to – keep in some regards to history and not not so much in like a death is a man way where they don't want to piss people off and just kind of say it has been but doesn't want to they don't seem to want to like you know take it out forever i'm sticking without a lot of context on that just from what i've little i've read but like uh with this with with bane and the references to breaking batman's back i mean they did it in dark knight rises which i didn't think they were going to do i I don't know if if it's because batman's back got broken or because of the of the story that led up to it where he was worn down because god knows they, they didn't do that, do that right in spider-man the gauntlet but never mind i mean the story itself i personally find it to be excellent but also the event seems to be so momentous that it seems to be to some people in the editorial offices too good to throw away let's get into barbara gordon because hey it's kind of her show in batman 499 we have uh titled the venom venom connection which opens with one of my favorite scenes of jean Valley beating the pudding out of a, a mobster and Rama's like stop it you don't have to he's like shut up boy we got there's Dramatic a scene reading by Don. yeah the bbc audio version there's a scene in the bat cave where 
Bruce and Alfred are uh, basically analyzing a mass of a hood that kind of kidnapped Chandra Kinsolving and uh, Jack Drake. And Bruce is analyzing the blood in the mask, and he, he needs some info. So he goes to Oracle! Not on Skype this time like he did in uh, Sword of Israel. He just kind of calls her on the phone. She runs some background on where someone might be vaccinated for malaria on the, uh, you know, on, you know, somewhere in the planet. And it's like nine times or nine nations in Africa. She basically gives him the information he needs. Very, very 90s Batman Oracle scenario. But uh, there is a line where she says, and let me get the exact line. Bruce says, thank you, Oracle. As ever, your assistance is invaluable. And then she responds, I ask you only that you use it wisely to get well, not worse. Get well. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with me. I'm Batman. She's like, yeah, the chair is difficult. I hope that you, unlike me, can find your way out of it. Goodbye. And Bruce is kind of like yanking his car like, Dang. And she knows, Alfred. Indeed, sir. What does the Oracle not know? So this was like uh, – and we, Stella and I kind of uh, talked about this a bit a lot the last time I broke into her show where it's a vague reference to her – either knowing his identity or knowing of his paralysis, which at this point in the storyline, they kind of kept it hush. Only Tim and John Paul and Alfred knew about it. But it also is starting to involve Oracle and the Bat family in a lot more of a regular way because up to this point, and Stella, feel free to kind of jump in if I'm getting the facts mixed up. She was, she was in Suicide Squad. She had appeared in Hawk and Dove and little else, right? Well, she had other, other appearances like in Manhunter, and Firestorm. So she was she was dotted around. And other John Ostrander written books. Basically, or Kiesel's, yeah. So, how dare they? Um, but this is, this is this is one of two scenes in Nightfall that I want to reference, because they're, they're, you actually see the woman in this scene. Later on in Batman 500, we have Robin's kicked out of, the, out of Wayne Manor because John Paul's a douche. And uh, Nightwing shows up saying, I got the information from Oracle of what's going on. And then just proceeds to ask what's going on. So that was kind of bizarre. So we have, we have both Nightwing and Oracle sort of being a lot more of a central focus in the Bat family on a more familial level. There's a continuity issue with this Nightwing thing that um, as soon as Josh is around, he'll probably elaborate more on. But what do we think about how Oracle is played in this scene? She's a, a bit more of a, uh, not ethereal, but sort of like an all-knowing presence like somehow she knows that bruce wayne's in a wheelchair without any real information given to her um and there's there's elements like you know maybe you can you know live with the chair like i am now it's you know obviously referencing there's no real reference to their scene in suicide squad where it was a lot more less it was a lot more formal i suppose i mean this is continuitily ambiguous yeah, exactly. Don't even start on that scene. With that scene, I guess it's because you know it's just kind of because of her relationship with relation to Batman and the Bat family later on with Nightwing. What do we make of this scene in terms of how she's being played in the comics now? She's kind of going from a DC Comics character to slowly but surely being a Batman character again. Uh, Stella, what do you think about her two the two references to Oracle and Nightfall here? You know, I I had that interview with John Ostrander, of mm-hmm. course, and so. The small appearances that she made in other books was serving his greater purpose that she is not only from a narrative standpoint able to fix plot holes or be a good answer to any plot holes that may arise, but also to really boost her up as this great source of information. And so I think it's great that we started there. And it's tough because there's this tension, I think. And so I'm glad that it delayed. It it took so long for her and Batman to interact, for her to get back into the swing of the family. And still at this point, I think with Nightfall, she's still, I think, 
a little bit on the periphery. She's, I think, of her own volition, she's not willing to really go back in that bubble yet because there's a lot of stuff that I think is really brewing between her and Batman, perhaps more on her side, but there's just this tension, which I really felt in Batman 511 when we go over that because of the killing joke. So I wouldn't consider her necessarily in the Batman family fold yet, but I'm glad that Batman now, you know, now you're seeing this greater member of the DC universe starting to reach out for her. Whereas, you know, Hawk and Dove, Firestorm, Apologies, Shag. Uh, D-listers. Well, I wouldn't say D, but it's not necessary. You know, it's not up to the the Batman status, which I think is good. One of my questions that, you know, I asked because I, I reread this is, is he calling as Bruce Wayne or is he calling as Batman? And I think that that, if we were to determine that, that would, of course, solve the the mystery of what does she know? Does she know it's my injury or does she know that I'm Batman? Because I, I that's ambiguous. Why would Bruce Wayne be calling Oracle or, you know, or would it be but Batman? But she does know he's, he's Batman. That's just a stupid continuity thing from Suicide Squad. Oh, well, he she, I mean, John Ostrander knew or admitted that she knew. Anyway. It was also in the sort of Azrael. He was calling her as Batman, correct? In that story? Right. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, I think that's a, that's a worthy question because of that continuity error, it's really confusing. At no point did it ever question that she did not know he was Bruce Wayne was Batman, but because of that that lousy scene in Suicide Squad, where she's like, "Someday I'll figure out who you are," despite the fact that you told me in Killing Joke. Well, let, let me ask this question, and and maybe it, it'll either derail us or you guys can shoot me down. I, I think the I think the bigger question is. Does she know that Bruce Wayne is crippled? Because if he's calling her, he's calling her as Batman. Because Bruce Wayne is Batman. This is the era where that is what he is, and Bruce Wayne is his disguise. So anytime he's calling her, he's calling her as Batman. So yeah, is the question then? Does she? How does she know about the injury? And it's been a while since I, I I've read it firsthand, but. Wasn't there some kind of news report about Bruce being in a car accident? Oh, uh, Tim and Harold, I think, beat up a car to pose as a ploy to say to explain yeah. why Bruce Wayne was gone. So, if that's in the news, then she knows he's injured. So then it's not too much of a leap to maybe think that he's in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. It's not that we're doing this much gym- mental gymnastics yeah. for what I used to think is a very simple scene when I was a child. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and there's there's actually a follow up to that in Batman 500, or where, like where she's kind of she kind of finds out behind the scenes, even though like you don't see her, she's mentioned as knowing that Bruce is out of danger. Well, the, the, the interesting thing about that scene is like when he's like, "Yeah, I talked to Oracle." That's actually the first like communication between Nightwing and Oracle since um oh I forget I what issue number it is. No, that oh, well retroactively but i mean since um that what's the name of that story all my enemies against me it's like is that issue 526 of yeah uh, yeah because it was, it was like the 500th anniversary of batman's appearance in detective with jason todd yeah the last time the two of them interacted jason todd was a redhead circus orphan you know so which is also the the um only other time before killing joke that barbara interacted with the joker too but anyway so that's interesting too because nightwing and oracle are back in touch but then when you look at the timeline of it around like when that conversation would have been, it somewhat fits in with Nightwing Annual 2, but it's the only time that anything has ever fit in with Nightwing Annual 2, so... Well, also, and, and Tom can get into this, like, Nightwing, Nightwing doesn't seem to be 
fairly aware of what's going on with Bruce is until this moment. Whereas in Titans, two, Titans 100, he learned on the phone that he was paralyzed, right? Yeah, no, nobody he, told him. He called He <laughs> he called up to Bruce that, that he wasn't coming to his wedding, to Corey, because um, he was supposed to marry Corey. And 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 so when he when he called when he called Bruce to to complain that he wasn't coming to the wedding to Corey. He was like, oh, 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 I see. Like, it totally was like a phone conversation. And then uh, t- Tim was uh, – Tim showed up. At the- Tim was at the wedding. Tim though. and Alfred were there. Tim and Alfred were there because the-, the conversation took place before the wedding. And then um, in five – conversations with Alfred, he's he's yelling at Alfred like, give yeah. me one good reason why Bruce yeah. can't come to my wedding. Oh. oh, oh, that's a very <laughs> exactly. good reason. That's exactly oh. how the, the conversation is written. I see. Okay, and okay then, give, give me two good reasons. And then, um, <laughs> but the, the conversation I want is when Alfred and Tim come back from the wedding and Bruce is in his wheelchair in the back cave. Hey, how was Dick's wedding? Was it a real blast? Uh, <laughs> did, did you remember yeah. the kiss the bride for me? No, but Raven did. <laughs> oh my. Was it a real blast? Ask the priest. <laughs> Damn that issue. <laughs> there, um, and and uh, just looking looking this, I have Mike's Amazing World open in front of me. Batman Five Hundred came out the same month when Dick and Corey were um, guest starring in the Flash because that's where they went for a few issues oh. right after Titans uh-huh. One Hundred. That's another mm-hmm. continuityly ambiguous. It's weird because. <laughs> Because she's like completely like in in the Titans issues, which have some of the worst art you'll ever see in a comic. Corey is half catatonic. She's like rambling and stuff. And then in the Flash oh, yeah. issues, it's because Mark. It's, this is Mark Wade and um, I think it's Mike Ringo. Ringo. And yeah, Ringo uh, would have been on by that point. Yeah, uh, Alan Davis was doing the covers. She's a she's helping them. She's a lot more coherent in that. So there's a little bit of discontinuity between those two storylines. A lot more coherent. So the Titans offices, the Flash offices, and the Bat offices were all like, like you know, clearly not talking to each other. Well, this well, was, this, but that was the era. I mean, yeah. this was the era where the you know the editorials were like little fiefdoms. I yeah. Mean, so that makes perfect sense that there wouldn't be more communication because, you know, the, you know, Brian Augustine, who was editing the flash at Flash. the time and Denny O'Neill and, um, Rob, Rob Simpson was the name yeah, of the Titans editor at the time. They, they, well, no one was probably paying attention to Titans at this point, but, uh, so, I mean, let, let, let's be real. They got, it's like they couldn't get Dick Grayson back into the Bat Books fast enough at the and end. And in a of, more uh, traumatic way. <laughs> at the end of Night's End. So. If, if yeah. you read that last issue of Titans that he's in, he's in like a leather jacket and he pulls a gun on a crook because he doesn't know how else to like get them to like stop the robbery. And they all just look at him saying, you're not going to shoot us. And he's <laughs> That's like, the oh. word that I love. No one loves. <laughs> yeah. And he has like a five o'clock shadow. It's... <laughs> Marple was like that's okay. that's the beginning of the era though where Wolfman was having the plots 
dictated at him, and he says that a lot of the dialogue was changed after he wrote it in that in that like right around zero post zero era. So yeah, that flash thing because the sequence of event is Corey goes to her wedding. She gets catatonic from Raven. Mm -hmm. She wakes up from her catatonic thing and like becomes some goes through a warrior ritual. She goes and the next time. Right. The next time she sees, oh, like, the next time she interacts with Dick, you know, aside from being in a coma at her wedding, is her not remembering him because of that ritual. Yeah. And then she gets her memory back and breaks up with him. So there's no time for them to have adventures in the Flash. And by the way, in that Flash adventure, they're husband and wife. Whoops. Yeah, it's... it's <laughs> they didn't tell Mark Wade that. Well, and, and uh, you know, they didn't tell Mark Wade that. And, and I don't know how, f- when he came up with the idea to have them team up. I mean... Up until about Titans 100, they were still planning a, a mini series with him and her, and like mm-hmm. there was a lot of behind the scenes stuff going on between with those two characters. And yeah, that that whole I can't. It, it's like an unpronounceable word for the ritual she goes through in like South America. Kiss him a fur or something. Kiss him a fur. How many? Kissy fur. How many? Uh, it's kissy how many, fur. It's, oh, really? <laughs> how many? Uh, how many apostrophes are in the uh, word? One, but th- but there's no vowels. There's like a Y, and that's it. <laughs> So, so somebody's cat walked across their keyboard. And they Probably. <laughs> Issue 500, we have Dick and Babs, even even though it's off-panel, but the first off-panel Dick and Babs interaction since 1983, I think. Yeah. So th- th- there, there you go, Stella, just for you. It's they true, made out but someone. I wonder if he knows that Oracle is Babs at this point, or did she just um, send Why else would he be talking to her? Well, no, that's, that's <laughs> I'm going <laughs> <I'm gonna> to <laughs> assume. That she chooses. I'm going to assume oh. that Tim told him. Does well, I mean, Tim uh, no, because Tim hadn't even met her until Cataclysm. That's ambiguous, which is something we should talk about because it, it seems like it's revealed to him in Batman 511. However, in Prodigal, oh, that's I true. don't think that's that true. he knows. In Prodigal, I don't think he knows. I didn't even think about that. You're right. Here's huh. an interesting thing about if Dick doesn't know that Oracle's Barbara. Let's say Nightwing Annual 2, you know, the catastrophe it is, is still in continuity. He has sex with Barbara before his wedding to Corey. She throws him out. That happens. And then he meets this Oracle person not knowing it's Barbara. And he's like, oh, man, my love life's all messed up right now. And Oracle's like, really? Tell me all about it. (laughs) (laughs) Sucker. Yeah, the best I ever had was a redhead. She perks up. From another planet, and she gets all sad. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Guys, Dick, um, Gray- Dick Grayson is the Scott Bayo of the DC Universe. Oh, boy. like 2000 and like six or something but he was like a very monogamous person before all he slept with the huntress yeah um, but he he tells her in that miniseries i don't do things on a casual and then he, basis and then he sleeps with Corey right before he proposes to barbara well but, but that's that was an editorial thing and he slept with Corey, <laughs> the woman who he almost married not you know like waitress mcfloozy <laughs> 
Wow. Uh, yeah, because we're getting, I, I don't know, somehow this has turned into the like The sexcapades uh, of Dick Grayson. Yeah, Dick Grayson podcast. Someone else can start that. I think two someone orders. else already has. Taking Flight, part two. I bitches. know, right? Yeah. So that's it for Nightfall. Any other final thoughts on Nightfall? Babs' role in that? Uh, it rocks. They need to release the search in trade paperback form because, hey, let's do the complete nightfall in trade and yeah. the complete night quest. The complete night quest, well, almost complete. That I agree with that just because I was confused and asked Donovan questions of how did Bruce miraculously heal? Magic. Where's boobies. Alfred? <laughs> yeah, you, 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 were, you were like, I, I don't want to miss anything. I said, oh, you didn't miss anything. By the way, Alfred quit. What? <laughs> Are you sure he quit? Because I could have sworn I listened to a podcast where these people were talking about how Dark Knight Rises was superior because in the comic, Alfred would never quit. And the movies are deeper than that. You know, and there, Alfred, you know, has more pathos because he quit. Something that the comic Alfred would never do. But I believe you can go on the Batman universe. Oh, oh, Batbooks for Beginners? I believe they did Nightfall if you're wanting to know more about it. Because they're in No Man's Land right now, so I assume so. Yeah. Yeah, I think Nick did it. Yeah, so uh, that's that's the Nightfall discussion. And now we're going to move into something I've even more recently read, and that is Zero Hour. Oh, uh, so, Michael Bailey, take us away to this crazy place with white pages. <laughs> You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. So there was this thing called Crisis on Infinite Earths, where out of many became one. uh, And the continuity was reset, and there was no multiverse. The JSA existed in World War II... The Superman, Batman, and all of them were more modern heroes. But apparently, an event that catastrophic is not going to just end and not have any kind of echoes or problems. So along the way, there have been all of these bumps in the road, little continuity problems. Mm -hmm. And somebody decides to take advantage of this and is going to recreate the universe in his own image. At first, we think it's a villain named Extant, Mm -hmm. uh, who is the former Hank Hall, who was was Hawk. Yeah. Who was Uh, (laughs) Doug. Probably on Earth, like, 52. Who was uh, the hero known as Hawk, but then became Monarch because of leaks, I guess is the best way to refer to that. And after that, he gained the, the ability to be even more and became extant well it turns out extant wasn't the person behind the zero hour cataclysm uh that would be uh mr hal jordan himself uh, Mm -hmm. for the first time takes the name parallax oh yes and basically he wipes out all of time and at the end (coughs) the heroes have to defeat him and then restart the universe, which totally fixed every continuity problem. And from 1994 on, there wasn't a single one, which is Forever. a line, and I know it. More germane to this show, one of the anomalies that popped up is suddenly you have Barbara Gordon, 
as Batgirl running around Gotham City. Yep. And Batman and Tim Drake encounter her. Tim Drake is, uh, thinks she looks okay. Very okay. Very okay. Yeah, he's a little smitten with her. Uh, Who who isn't? I mean, come on. Absolutely. Person attracted to women wouldn't be attracted to Barbara Gordon. The uh, and she kind of she kind of rides out the entire event mm-hmm. and becomes one of the central figures because at one point during the conflict you had all of these time anomalies on one side going well why can't we all have our you know our lives you know it's not fair that we have to get wiped out just because we're anomalies and at the end she just is, because we're anomalies she is but. She might not be completely wiped out, but I'll get that. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, Barbara Gordon had a had a really good um, appearance in the Batman crossover issue mm-hmm. of Zero Hour, which I know we're going to get to in a minute. But and she also kind of hung around with Guy Gardner for a while there, uh, yeah. which was, which was kind of cool. It's one of my favorite crossover issues was the Guy Gardner one uh, because he threw Bo Smith. The manliest man in comics just threw everything at the wall. I mean, you had Lady Blackhawk, you had Batgirl, you had like all. It was just an amazing issue. Uh, it really kind of took advantage of the fact that this was kind of a crisis uh, type event. Yeah, he brought, and I, if I recall correctly, he brought in like different artists to different different sections mm-hmm. of that book. It's a really good issue. Uh, Phil That's Jimenez nice. does does a, a portion yeah. of that. I want to say Mike Parabek did a. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He did like the fun, uh, like Silver Age section. Yeah, uh, where he was drawing Hal Jordan as Green Lantern again. It was amazing. So I was rereading it today. Like, like I, I didn't notice, but he says, my, "The love of my life is dead." Is that in that Guy Gardner issue? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. But at the very end of Zero Hour, there uh, there is a new time uh, time trapper at the end of time because mm-hmm. it opens with Time Trapper dying. Oh, yes. That time that time trapper has red hair and is female. Ah. So, oh my god. It was, so uh it was pointed it's out when, when Jeffrey <laughs> Betrayal It was pointed out to me when Jeffrey and I uh we covered all of Zero Hour on From Crisis to Crisis. It took up six episodes. We talked about the main book, the Superman book, and I did some little brief synopsises for all of the crossover issues, some of which were really good and some of which didn't have jack all to do uh, with Zero Hour, which was kind of disappointing. And then there was Teen Titans, which just didn't make a lick of sense uh, at all. Don't get me started. <laughs> there were words on that page. They were strung in sentences, and I still did not understand it. Just like... Uh, I I Go, go, because you're going to get me off on a rant. So, go. So... <laughs> Questions to kind of throw out to the group, and we'll start with Stella. What did you think of Barbara in this event? Let me first say that I recently listened to those six episodes that you did with Jeffrey, and I highly recommend them. And not just because you're my friend, but uh, I think you guys really delved into it. And there were certainly some moments that I was a little bit confused, so it's great to, to have some moments elucidated, as well as because I got this on sale at Comixology during San Diego Comic-Con, in fact, uh, I didn't get any of the tie in so it was great to hear what was going on dotted throughout the universe. So I do say that you should go on iTunes and get those if you're interested in this particular book. Barbara Gordon. N- number one, I was shocked that she played 
somewhat of a a bigger role than you know I would expect her to play in in such of a uh, in such an event. Um, I should also back up and say that I had no idea this was a crisis. Um, I always, I always consider when I thought about the crises, I thought, okay, you've got Crisis on Infinite Earths, Infinite Crisis, and Final Crisis, and those are the big three. So I had no idea that this actually changed continuity because I wasn't really reading comics around this time. So I, I'm learning so much right now. But anyways, back to Barbara Gordon. I was super happy to see her. And what what's more is I was very pleased with the way she was treated, mainly because I've had a bad taste in my mouth. And, and Michael, you were on the show and I did this with her performance or her portrayal in Crisis on Infinite Earths. You mean her betrayal in Crisis on Infinite Earths? <laughs> that's, as, that's as fans correct. of the character were betrayed by Marv Wolfman? That is absolutely <laughs> correct. Yet again. Um, and, and I think there were reasons for it. I mean, I have some conspiracy reasons, but I think also is to highlight Supergirl because I think they knew Supergirl was going to die. So let's put her, you know, let's juxtapose her against Batgirl and let's show how Batgirl admires her and everything like that. But... But which is fine, but to be so down on yourself and feel like you're no good at nothing, whereas all these years of, of what you've been doing proves otherwise was a disappointment. But here, uh, she works, she's fighting alongside these veteran heroes with powers or without powers. Um, and of course, we come to a very tragic ending, which, you know, really got me there. But overall, I really enjoyed watching her and reading her in this particular storyline and I'm very happy that Dan Jurgens chose her and I kind of want to I want to talk to Dan Jurgens actually uh, more about this and and just wonder what his uh, intent was if he was maybe trying to reverse something from crisis but overall I was very pleased with how it went down and um, I do want to talk about later on about her joining Hal's side because I know that this was something that you and Jeffrey debated on your show, and I reread that section again, and I agree with you, Michael, especially because it's not like she jumps to his side right away. Uh, she is very much on the side of, you know, you're, this is what you're planning on doing. Uh, she's a little dubious about the whole thing, but it's so, I think, emotionally powerful and impactful when she says, I just want to live, and that's like with her dying breath, she says it again. Just she wants to exist in some sort of universe. And I think with everything that happens, which we see in 511, it's very believable. I think that she would try to be, perhaps she would believe this person. She's so desperate to believe that he can create this universe where maybe the Joker doesn't exist. Maybe her father's still alive and everything like that. So all that rambling to say that I really liked her betrayal in this story. <laughs> it's not like a betrayal, but uh, me too. <laughs> Now I've uh, had both, as you guys can see in the chat window, I've had both five eleven Batman five eleven and Zero Hour for years now. I got five eleven before Zero Hour. I think I've had I've owned Zero Hour for about the last ten years. I reread it for the first time after a long time today. Overall, I like her. I like her uh, role here. She doesn't. She she's introduced in the very beginning in an identical scene to the Batman issue, mm-hmm. and she's kind of peppered throughout but as the story ramps up she gets more and more involved to the point where like, like the parallax issue and the, and the issue is number zero the last issue the she's a very she's a main character like uh her actions and her perspective is, is, is well written i think i think that like this is one of those scenarios where hal jordan kind of wants to remake the universe and everyone gets to live christopher mm-hmm. eccleston style but uh to do that he must destroy everything 
so Superman's like, you know, you've set yourself up as God, Hal. You've killed billions. They'll live again. And, like, uh, you have guys like Alpha Centurion and Oliver Queen and Damage and Kyle Rayner and all these characters from the 90s uh, kind of running around talking. But I think Barbara represents, I don't say the good old days, but, like, you know, a very kind of pure character where you see her and you know exactly what her deal is. And when, you know, she manages to, manages to come off as completely genuine. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she doesn't, like... When she's trying to, you know, keep uh, Oliver from attacking Hal, she doesn't, like, you know, stab him with a battering. She kind of just, like, you know, grabs him grabs him by the legs or whatever. She doesn't try to fight. And Oliver doesn't try to fight her. She's just trying to say, like, listen, I think that, you know, he might be on to something. It, a lot of it happens kind of fast where there's not there's not a lot of room for debate uh, What with all the 90s action going on. I actually like to say my thoughts on Zero Hour in brief later on. But uh, I think that uh, – I think that her – uh, element the element of Batgirl in this story actually made it a lot better than the majority of it was, and I really like her in this story. I think that um, I felt really bad for her when I was rereading it more so than I remember doing because obviously she's not our Batgirl, she's not Oracle, she's not the original one that we grew up with because she is Batgirl and because she is so I don't know genuine in, in, in her yearning to live and have mm-hmm. her father live. It seems really cruel. I mean, this this, this whole storyline is like you a cavalcade of murder, anyway. But um, I, I was you can see why Oliver Queen would be so pissed off when she, you know, she saved the life of damage and um, sacrificed herself. So, uh, and I love that line where he says, "You know, you may not have existed, Batgirl, but you won't be forgotten." Uh, solemn face. Um, I, I I quite enjoyed her in this story. I don't like. A lot of Zero Hour. I think that the art is great, and I like that Babs was um, – th- this version of Babs was given a lot to do, more so than um, you would have thought. Like, you know, and I love how she gets to have a sacrifice at the end, and it's implied that she's the new time- – it was Time Trapper is the name, right? Mm-hmm. The Time Trapper. Yeah, I like it. It was implied she was the new Time Trapper. I like the tie-ins more so than the actual story, though. Like, it was fun to see different things like uh, Superboy, you know, fight <laughs> the Silver Age Superboy. You know, that was fun. Back, you know, back when he was the leather jacket, uh, pre-Connor Kent, Connor Kent, because he didn't have that name yet. And things like uh, Tim Drake teaming up with the original, uh, yeah, like, uh, like Dick Grayson. And and he just foregoes all the usual stuff like I can't tell this person anything about their future because it'll disrupt the time stream. You know, Tim seems like a canary. He's like, oh, you grew up and become Nightwing. You know, it's all good. <laughs> like, just, you know, that just type don't worry of about a guy named Jason. Don't worry about him. Yeah, you know that 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 kind of stuff. You know, you, it gets tiring in time travel stories. So I like. And I love that Superman cover where you see, like, all the different versions of Batman, including, like, a Bob Kane Batman and a Batman the Animated Series Batman surrounding Superman. Like, that part of Zero Hour is fun. What I don't like about Zero Hour is it was used as, like, you know, an excuse for continuity errors, like, henceforth. Like, it was – if there was something in a story, you know, and this and this argument was used both in the books and on message boards, it's like, well, you know, wait, that's an error. It's like, well, no, it's not because that was pre-crisis. No, that was something that happened after crisis. Oh, well, Zero Hour fixed that. Like, anytime something happened, you'd say that, like, you know, Zero Hour messed with it. And then I, I know Tom didn't want to get into this. But, like, stupid stuff like the Team Titans never existed, but yet, you know, we still have Terra 2, you know, around. Like, that didn't make any sense. And, yeah. Stupid things like monkeying with origins. Yeah, and they, and they, oh, God, there was that Titans annual that was the year one annual where they they explained Mirage. (laughs) 
they actually explained it as like you were just always here, but they had like the 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 old time trapper somehow sent them a message, and he had like kept them in stasis to make them think they were. It was just so convoluted. And then Deathwing was still around, but he was like biker Deathwing now, and they were implying for years that Terra Two was Terra One, just resurrected, and it's just a who created it's a Death- mess. Wolfman. I can't and live, live before we all hated the five-year timeline, there was the ten-year timeline. Yeah, which but like, go yeah. ahead and finish your sentence because I am going to defend the ten-year timeline like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> okay, well, the ten-year timeline never made sense to me because there was never enough time for Dick Grayson to grow up if he didn't appear until Batman Year Three. And he's 19 years old by, like, you know, the time he becomes Nightwing. But then you still have a few years from him becoming Nightwing, the Tim Drake showing up. Like, that never made sense. And the thing about the 10-year timeline is all of those secret files and origin issues had a 10-year timeline in the back of them. The problem was, you know, how how can the Teen Titans have a 10-year timeline and Batman also have a 10-year timeline? <laughs> that makes no sense if the Teen Titans didn't come until, like, year six of Batman, you know, or, and then like, but they, they have a 10 year timeline too. Like characters who didn't show up until Batman was in his fourth year, like not just the Titans would have 10 year timelines as well. It it didn't make sense. But that isn't the fault of the zero hour 10 year timeline. That's the fault of the editors of that secret files and origins screwing up. So you can't blame the original timeline because somebody else misused it. Everyone misused it. That's why I didn't like it. And and I didn't like it because um, it, it was in my canon because Marv Wolfman told me that Dick Grayson became Robin when he was eight. I see now that that's asinine. But as a kid, Marv Wolfman, Marv, yeah. Marv Wolfman said he was eight. So he was eight. And then he becomes Nightwing when he's 19. But how does that work with a 10-year timeline when he spent 11 years at, as Robin? It's, you know, even... But even if you say that he became, you know, Robin at 13 and Nightwing at 19 and then like, you know, in Batman it's Year 3, he's, he says that he's been, you know, out of the Batcave for like two or three years and stuff like that. So you can't you, – Dick Grayson going from Robin to Nightwing, what issue was that again? I feel terrible. Uh, what, what issue were you asking Tell, about? Tales of the Teen Titans 44. He says that he was True eight Scott. in – yeah, oh, um, he said um, it. He said it, it multiple thir- times, but it's the one where he's um where he where he and Wally quits. Oh, thirty nine. So yeah, Titans thirty nine. Yeah. So. And the ten year timeline says eight years ago Dick Grayson becomes Robin, and then four years ago he becomes Nightwing. Three years but ago then, becomes but Robin. Then and Nightwing Gar- also had a ten year timeline in his book. You know, so whatever. Everyone gets a ten year timeline, no matter when they were. <laughs> but it, it it didn't work for me. If you remove Dick Grayson growing up out of the equation, I guess the ten year timeline uh you know works just fine. He but. said Batman said he was Batman for ten years in uh, the cult, so oops. Well, <laughs> well yeah, and, and that, that was, was when Jason was Robin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not saying the ten year timeline is perfect. I'm just saying at least it leaves enough time for certain things to happen over a five-year timeline. I mean, it's, it's not, nothing, no timeline is ever going to be perfect because there is always going to be some issue somewhere hidden in somebody's run where the writer didn't care because, I mean, because (laughs) for whatever reason, 
the editor wasn't paying attention. The writer didn't care, just didn't know, whatever. I mean, if you read the Jim Starlin Batman, it's like Batman who's been Batman for like 17 years. Like half of his internal dialogue is all about how long he's, you know, been at this game. Uh, I I liked the one. I liked the the timeline because it was a really beautiful gatefold thing at the end of the issue mm-hmm. with some fantastic artwork in it did not work as well in the trade paperback, no. but, but I remember, see, I'm, I'm, I'm really close to zero hour because it was, I just graduated from high school. I was stepping into the larger world of the DC universe. I was buying more titles and, you know, I was like there at ground at ground zero when all of this happened. So the 10 year timeline that came out of that, just in my head, I'm like, okay, this is kind of how it works. I mean, it's never going to be perfect, but I, I don't like it being brought up in the same breath as the five-year timeline because, let's face it, the five-year timeline was an afterthought. These people don't care. They just don't freaking care. And then they don't care, give us something, and then admonish us because we care. So you have them saying it's a five-year timeline, and then you have Jim Lee saying, oh, I don't know why people are all hung up on this, when you gave it to us in the first place. Actually, he's so funny been wrong because, the entire time. It's just funny because as a kid, I was so like, this doesn't work. Ten years is not enough time, and like, little did I realize so that what they would changed? try and cut that time in half. <laughs> um, well, they cut it in half. That's, that's what's changed. <laughs> I mean, for you personally – Looking at something and it driving you nuts because it because there's a continuity problem. I have more facial hair. There you go. Wow, Tom, any thoughts on zero um, hour of what you recall? Well, I've got the trade in front of me. I was just kind of flipping through it. I, I, I remember I, I, um, Mike and I often joke we have the same childhood because he's a year older than I am and we grew up relatively in the same area, so a lot of my experiences were like his and I remember being incredibly pumped for zero hour from the moment I saw a, like a blinking, you miss it house ad on that DC universe page that used to have in the back of like every comic where it was like, here's some coming attractions and it was like a clock and it's it was something like the time, the end is near or something like that. And I was like, Ooh, what's this? Cause I had, Crisis is one of my favorite stories of all time. It was one of the, it was the first crossover I read because I. Long story short, I had collected it in back issue form when I started collecting comics. So it was like, ooh, big continuity changing event, and I'm actually going to be there for it, as opposed to having to find stuff in the bins. And I have to admit, even back in 1994, I was a little bit cautious going in when I found out it was going to be a weekly series because the only other weekly crossover series I had ever read at that point was millennium (laughs) less said about millennium, the better Um, what bothers me about the zero hour story. Cause it's actually, it's a slightly solid story. You know, the the, the art's great. Um, Ordway inking Jurgens is such a great combination. Oh yeah. Um, but two things. One, you're right. Everything happens in this so fast. It's like <laughs> it's and, hilarious. And and, and <laughs> let's the the Team Titans, Phil Jimenez and Jeff Jensen had something that they were trying to get going. It, I I 
they had actually mapped out the better part of like a year or two of the book. And then the book was kind of pulled out from under them that it was, they said, no, we're canceling you. And so they had to wrap up certain storylines within, you know, a certain number of issues and build towards zero hour. It was where it was revealed that the mysterious leader of the future team Titans was Monarch because it was always a former Titan. I think their original idea was Danny chase, but, um, but it was it, it was yeah who cares it was monarch all right so that made them basically sleeper agents which is actually a good story beat because then you have the potential for a knockdown drag out yes it's the 90s superhero fight right because there were like a couple hundred of them and even after this cataclysmic storyline that went in the book there were still a good 20 or 30 of them left so you have all these people who could be fighting the heroes and and the fight takes place on like a page and a half of one issue of zero hour. And it's like, and then we have them, and we spent more time shooting at backgrounds than we do fighting an enemy. And that, that was what frustrated me about. And the team Titans crossover was awful. The team Titans crossover could have been just an extended version of that scene of that battle scene in, in that issue. And that would have been really cool. Kind of the same way that in infinite crisis, the teen Titan, that one teen Titans issue was basically an extended version of the Jeff John wants Jeff Johns hates the nineties Titans fight. He ki- look who Jeff Johns has Superboy prime kill. It's yeah. Panther nineties. And- it's nineties Titans characters and a character he created to show, Hey, no, no, no. Look, I killed my own character, but it's like, no, I hate the 90s. Let's knock Panther's head off and throw it down the street. But Yikes. I digress. But, but, so it's, and all so, the baby wildebeest fans roared in rage, all six of them. You're being generous. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but, but it's like it, it gets really good at the end. Like the last issue and a half is, is really good. When they finally fight Hal Jordan and the scenes with Barbara are – Barbara is one of the most intriguing, the, the, you know, out of continuity Batgirl is one of the most intriguing characters in the entire book. And I think Dan Jurgens wrote her really, really well. And I agree with what you guys were saying on like her quote betrayal at the end where it, it's, it's a lot more nuanced than you would get in most today. comics, even today, but even, and, and even back then, you know, uh, I would think today it would be her turning, with either the angry glowing red eyes of anger or her eyes would go completely black and she would be evil Barbara. She's, <laughs> she's angry half the time anyway these days. <laughs> All these guys decorations show up and she'll be pissed off. Yeah. She'd put like a purple streak in her hair. <laughs> I am now evil Barbara. <laughs> I, I, just, I don't, I don't want to interrupt. It's like, the, it's like the old bit on Alias where like the, we used to call it the uh, mascara of evil. Oh no. <laughs> Francine! Where's my sister? Wait five minutes after my exit. Then go to the fourth floor of the parking structure across the street. Or my friends will blow a hole in your heart. Get your hands off me. It was nice getting to know your sister. Oh, 
scratch. I need backup. She can have the blouse. I would like to save Thomas because I don't want to interrupt Tom if he's not. If oh, he's no, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, I haven't reread Zero Hour. <laughs> this is the most, like, comic bookiest comic book story that ever comic booked. This is one of the goofiest things I ever owned. I think it's, again, it's like 30 seconds or less. I think it's a really silly story because so much monumentous crap happens in the middle of seconds of time. They wave through char- characters like. Like, like cattle to the meat grinder in this. I mean, the Justice Society of America is ravaged. Yeah, don't get me started on, on, on them, what they did to the JSA, because I haven't quite ever forgiven them for it. <laughs> it's such an undignified way. It's, it's, it's like he kind of just flicks a booger at Dr. Fate and he splits it up. And like, like he just turn, makes them old. Like, oh, we're, we're doomed. And I, I just some of the dialogue is like, you know, Wave Rider. What's wrong, Rider? Well, uh, something's wrong. It's an understatement. The universe is dying. And, like, the artwork doesn't even show him turn around to look him in the eye. It's like, so much crack. Like, like Batman dies. And, like, oh, that happened. So, well, you're right. I actually find this really funny. Yeah. And well, the 23-year-old impulse is there. Yeah. You're, you're right that the crossovers were, in many ways, a lot more entertaining to read than the actual main title. And... Had this been spread over maybe six months and given a little room to breathe, it might have been much better. Yeah, but at the same time, I, I, I don't think they were going to tie up all of the titles for. No, sure. I don't think they were either. I mean, it's just the, the fact that it, that it, you know, and, and this actually started. They had a bunch of weekly crossovers through the rest of the nineties. Uh, mm-hmm. Only one of which was bad. So, showcase uh, Genesis. Genesis was terrible. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we don't it's, talk it's just, about Genesis. We don't. I'm going to have to in a couple of years, and I'm not looking forward to it. And who owned that wand? We do not speak his name. But you know, Final Night was good. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. DC One Million was really good. I enjoyed that miniseries. Day of Judgment wasn't, but it wasn't terrible at the same time. So. I never read it. Uh, it's where Hal Jordan became the Spectre. Oh, okay. I think the main series definitely has a lot of problems, but it's odd because I never, I, I, you know, uh, until it, until Don just said it, I've never really thought of the pacing as being off, but I guess I could see that if you're reading it all in one sitting, the pacing's probably really problematic. If you're reading it on a weekly basis and have all the other crossovers yeah. you're checking out at the same time, it feels a lot more epic than it is. It's one of those things that doesn't read well on its own. Mm-hmm. You almost have to, I don't say you have to read all of the crossovers, but there's like a handful of them that you know are almost required reading. You guys mentioned the Dick Grayson, uh, Tim Drake, Drake team, team up yeah. with uh, Tom Grummet artwork that, you know, just... And, oh, yeah. it's a beautiful issue. And the and the two Superboys meeting with uh, Tom Grummet drawing the classic Superboy. You know, you almost wanted Tom Grummet to draw like the world's finest three with the classic Superboy and the Dick Grayson Robin. I mean, that that's uh, I would bought the crap out of that. But I love that Superboy issue. I'm just remembering scenes from yeah. it now. Yeah, it, there's a great moment in that issue too, where where Clark Kent, the the the, the sweater wearing Clark Kent like goes off to change into Superboy and he's got this look on his face like 
I'm going to come back and I'm going to beat somebody down. It's well, I'm now, <laughs> and, now and, I'm and, missing. And then the clone's like, what the heck is his, this guy's problem? <laughs> yeah. Now I'm realizing they missed their chance to have Dick tell Tim that he's going to take him back to that headquarters that he had with Jimmy Olsen back in those old world's <laughs> finest where there was like with the yeah. eerie or I, I don't know how to pronounce the word. E-Y-R-I-E. <laughs> oh, those are some goofy team ups. <laughs> But no, I, I could totally see where you're coming from on that. He's a, it's it, this is one of those stories that I, I'm not trying to sound like you know like a, a '60s hipster. You know, it's like you, I was there, man. But well, you know, I remember this being new. Kind yeah, of. but there's there's remembering it being new, and then there's being hip deep in it as it's happening. Yeah, and I, I'm not saying that 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 that's better. I'm just saying you're going to. This is the mark of a fantastic story. You're going to remember it more fondly if you remember being there rather than reading it later. And what I mean by that is it shows that the story has a lot of problems with it. Because Mm -hmm. if you can't, it's like you can read Crisis on Infinite Earths now and it holds up as a story. Yeah. You know, it has a three act structure and it has an epic quality to, to, to it. Infinite Crisis reads better now than it did when it was coming out as a monthly thing, because then you don't have the issues were late. Monthly? (laughs) 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 You know, this one, because, you know, it was such a blink and you'll miss it event in the first place that had just huge ramifications afterwards, it's so problematic. But at the same time, I kind of respect what Dan Jurgens was able to do in the in the amount of time he did it. You know, this is a man who drew, who wrote and drew uh, five comics to come out weekly while doing like one or two other books at the same time. Oh yeah, no, the, I think that like it definitely shows. It, I think the art really does carry the story. I don't think this is bad. I just think it's not great and funny. But um, I think that like uh, it's definitely one of those things where like it's it's a it's a product of his era. You know, there's a lot of nineties costumes going around here and it's, there's a lot of, I find personally a lot of charm in it where I, I think that stuff like nightfall or some of the other stuff is, is on a, on a technical level, a lot better. This one is very entertaining. Um, and not that it's so bad as good kind of way, just kind of in a very comic booky kind of way. Mike has a great point though, is that those, in, and it does sound like, you know, Hey man, you had to be there, but I do remember getting, reading through either direct currents or previews, whatever I had in front of me and knowing that zero hour was coming, trying to find and make a checklist of issues way prior to zero hour that were obvious lead ups. Like I started picking up the Legion of superheroes and Legionnaires like and valor about three or four months before zero hour, because clearly there was something leading in there and stuff. So it's, it's almost like I remember it, more elongated and, and and like I said, I had a little trepidation going into it weekly because of you know having read Millennium. I remember having but you know you are you're you're reading it week to week, but you're reading Zero Number Five Five and like, you know, several other comics with it. So it did feel longer. And you're right, it doesn't hold up in trade unless you have the other stuff to go along with it. I honestly think this would benefit from an omnibus. It would. It would. I don't know if anybody's 
clamoring for it, but I think you're Probably right. <laughs> I think you're right. It, and and try to put and try to put or or key issues with an omnibus in some sort of discernible order because that Legion of Superheroes storyline, the the end of an era, is actually it's a really good story. And I'm I mean, granted, I'm not that much of a Legion person, but I remember enjoying the heck out of it back in 1994. And um, my copy of Batman number five eleven, I, I have the whole the ad with like the um, Oracle becomes Batgirl again. Azro assumes identity of Oracle, setting the stage for Oracle fall, Oracle the Crusade yeah. quest, or the search in Oracle's end. Da- damages. I totally thought that those were all real too. I was like, wow. Me too. <laughs> do that with Oracle now. Oracle Oracle quest the search. I like that. I should mention that I was a stupid. Kid. <laughs> it, it, it's it's nice to see that DC was trolling its audience back then. You know, with a smile on their eye as opposed to a clenched fist. Should we move on to the actual crossover that Babs plays such an important role in? Oh, yes. This is the sure. Barbara Gordon podcast. It is, yeah. So Josh is going to lead us through ba- uh, Batman. I was going to say Batgirl 511. Batman Which- 511. Which has a great cover that um, doesn't yes. actually happen in the issue. That's one of my, my disappointments of this issue. Yeah, that, it's, that's it's, a great cover, but the, it's it's good because it grabs the reader's eye and makes them curious to buy the issue in a great way. It's, it, but it's only missing all of them saying, you! Because <laughs> it's a very you cover. Even the dinosaur was surprised. <laughs> Nightwing's like, hey guys, I'm not actually in this issue, but I just wanted to, you know, wish you guys good luck on the cover. Rob was so, like, what's going on, guys? Bad girl. So, so no Dick and Babs this issue. But we do begin with the Joker, and he's, you know, running away, and he's thrilled because he lost his Night Quest ponytail new look. Remember that one? And he's back to his classic one. Oh, yes. When all of a sudden he's. One of the sees... best parts of Night Quest. What are you talking about? I love Aww. that story. <laughs> when all of a sudden he sees Bat Girl. Which is actually how he says it. What's <coughs> next? A bat dog? Do you get it, guys? Did, do, do you get it? They had Ace at this time, too. I know, but get it? He said, what's next? A bat dog. And there actually was a bat dog. I'll get into that later, but DC did jokes like this all the time, and it was effing annoying. Um, Batman and Robin are likewise surprised to see her. They're like, you, you were injured. Remember? K- killing joke? Brian Bolin, Alan Moore, remember that? While they're I talking about the... It. While they're talking about that, though, the Joker uses the distraction to get away, but with the quietest helicopter in the world that, like, nobody heard coming. Uh, they were too, they <laughs> no, were too focused. No, it said whoop, whoop, whoop in the panel. But how did they – they're like, oh, we didn't hear the Joker get away. No one heard that helicopter coming. Batman's like, I must be drunk. <laughs> Batman says, oh, we'll catch him later. He, he literally does. Um, but he wonders what else must be topsy-turvy as a time anomaly Dick Grayson is looking in the rooftops. Uh, the the cops come and shoot at Batman, much to his surprise, as Batgirl gives way too much exposition to Batman when she should think that Batman already knows this information. She's like, of course the cops are always shooting at us. They're ordered to shoot the kill. So Batman, Robin, and Batgirl get away while Batman's demanding answers. He's like, I've read the killing joke. I know what happens. Your father was kidnapped. Don't tell me Commissioner Gordon's not your father. No, he's my uncle, but he might be my father. No, she doesn't say that, but <laughs> that is true. <laughs> but anyway, Batgirl says that in her reality, her copy of Killing Joke is different. In her copy, the Joker didn't knock. He just bursts in and shoots Jim, and he dies instantly. And in her copy of Killing Joke, she's abducted but not stripped. And in her copy, the bat- the Joker got away, so he and Batman probably didn't laugh together. Oh, and Rob Liefeld <laughs> did the art in hers instead of Brian Bolin. Um <laughs> 
So Batgirl takes the dynamic duo to her father's grave, which oddly enough shows that Jim married Sarah, even though by the time that killing joke happened, Sarah had not returned to Gotham yet, and explains that the new, new commissioner is Harvey Dent. And to which Batman says, what about Maroney? Didn't he, like, throw acid at him during the trial? And she says, no, he never went to trial after Fish Mooney shot him for calling her. I mean, after the Joker uh, killed him. <laughs> oh, yes. oh, by the way, you and I are totally banging in this reality. To which Batman is completely horrified, and his horrified face hurts Barbara's feelings, and she runs away crying like a Marvel Silver Age girlfriend. Like, that's literally the pose, the whole, like, running away crying thing. Bruce Wayne here. Bruce, it's Barbara. Hey, Barb. She misses you. How's college? Not bad, though the nightlife here can't compare with kicking butt as Batgirl. But spring break will be coming up soon, and I'll be back in Gotham for two whole weeks. Won't that be nice? Yes. We'll all be happy to see you. Don't drag me into this. Anyway, that's not the reason I called. I just saw the news, and I was wondering if you'd gotten a new partner. Someone a little... older? I have no idea who she is. Because if you had, I'd be really upset. Because I thought you and I were, you know. Uh, Barb, we're going through the East Tunnel now. Afraid signal's breaking up. Talk later. Squeaked through again, didn't you? I never fail to marvel at your narrow escape, sir. One female bat at a time. The Joker had a bug on Batgirl's cape and heard all of this, so he decides to visit Harvey Dent before Batman could. Back in the Batcave, Batman has a conversation with a still-crippled Brian Bolin version of the Killing Joke reality oracle and asks for the research Bell's theorem for him, which I don't know why he can't do that himself, but this is the days before Wikipedia. And he marvels at the idea that there's two Barbaras, as Barbara says, glad you got to get out of your chair. The Joker invades GCBD and incapacitates Dent. Batman arrives to see the exhumed corpse of Gordon in his old desk and Joker threatening to blow half of Dent's face off. They battle, but then the exhumed Gordon turns to a live 616 Gordon and uh, one face (laughs) turns to two face before they both disappear. Gordon says WTF is going on. And Batman's like, yeah, I I really can't explain this and disappears. Batman goes to see Oracle, but discovers that the Rob Liefeld Batgirl has just left. Uh, when I say, I, I mean because in my joke, Rob Liefeld drew that version of the killing joke, but he really didn't. Oracle's a little horrified, but Batman just wants her to shut up and talk about Bell's theorem. And she says, yeah, reality's kind of going crazy. Uh, you should go to Metropolis for that Superman crossover. So that's what he does. And we end the book with uh, Batman waiting for a long-haired, not mullet, but long-haired version of Superman post-death. Oh, he said, "Not mullet, Michael." Yeah, I, I was, I, it's it's I was, not a mullet. It's not. I'm so happy right now. You want you want a mullet? Let's talk about Dick Grayson. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, at least you agree about that. Ugh. So that was the issue. Um, what are all of our thoughts about that? Because this is the Barbara Gordon podcast, and this is Barbara Gordon, and, and Stella's, you know, kind of been sitting in the wings as we've been talking about crossovers. Let, let's go That's with true. Stella first. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, Shag. It's funny because uh, Shag's I, not here. Why I know. You just call me Shag. Excuse me. No, I'm talking about Shag, even though he's not here. Hello. He's not here. Why are you talking uh, about him? Because you need to accept he's the fact that Shag is gone. Because I like him more. In this than reality, the Joker no. shot him. 
<laughs> and, and he was drawn by L- Rob Liefeld. Uh, anyways, no, because Shag that joke got a little high concept. I always, um, I always, well, I don't talk basically. I just let other people talk. So, anyways, that's that's just kind of the game I play. Uh, so yes, here I am. I'm about to talk to this now. I had heard about this probably, I guess, San Diego Comic Con, if not before. Josh had mentioned something about this, and he said, you know, just wait till you get this. And then he was there when I bought the the thing on Comixology, and he said, well, the main story's not worth your time, but the tie-ins are, which, of course, I agree <laughs> with him after, after reading it. But here we are with this. I'm glad that very Silver Age – well, I guess not very Silver Age, but it takes panels actually from the main story. I did appreciate that. And so uh, – I, I'm I'm kind of of two minds with this particular book. I really like the alternative to the Killing Joke. I, I think some things were sort of corrected. It seemed like maybe it was Doug Mensch, right, who wrote this. That's right. Um, maybe he he wanted he had a problem with it and wanted to fix some things. For example, the Joker bursts through the door instead of someone unintelligently opening it without looking for a piece. <laughs> uh, someone it could have been anyone. I guess at this point it would have been Jim Gordon, but he bursts through, and there is no ambiguity about sexual assault. It seems very kosher, I guess we could say. Um, obviously, she was probably put through some ordeal uh and it's also interesting that that's her origin story that's how she became Batgirl because all this stuff happened to her and then she took up the suit fought with Batman uh so I like that and I I like that we get to see Babs's Batgirl again I think that's great but there are some issues with the character herself that you know I don't like um of course one of them is the fact that she and Batman are dating which is something that always ruffles my feathers. And in my notes, actually, it's funny that Josh mentioned this, but I, I honestly thought when she was running away and you got that single tear running down her eye or her face, <laughs> I thought, oh, no, why does that? Why do we have to revert back to the Silver Age Batgirl, just this sort of weak, very feminine you know, character that is insulted? Whereas, I mean, could she have let it roll off her back? Who knows? And then I'm also sad that we didn't get to see the actual Batgirl Oracle interaction because that was what the cover was toting. I Mm. think that if we really want to focus on Batgirl and how it's impacting, you know, others, because we've seen, we saw multiple Hawkmen, you know, in the zero hour story with Vandal Savage. We saw how that impacted Vandal Savage's sanity and other, other examples of that. So why couldn't we see Barbara versus Barbara? It's a bit of a bummer. So those are my two low points. Mm. But I also found it really interesting just the tension between Batman and Barbara Gordon here. Just very bitter and tense. And then the ending where she says, I suggest you find your help there, you know, talking about Superman. And just the emphasis on my choice exactly from Batman, just like feuding. Like I said, there's this unresolved tension there I think is, is very interesting. So it's. I thought he was a little insensitive to her. Well, I mean, it's not it's not a good relationship right now. So it's interesting to have Oracle, and then uh, who's on this break from Batman, and then you have Batgirl, who seems to be in love with him, and, and both relationships are not turning out well. And he's almost disgusted. I would say that face is like not only confusion but disgust of like 
you know, why would I ever date you? Ugh, not you. I know. That's what I felt like. Well, I, I think I, it's because he sees her as his friend's daughter. Yeah, I, I suppose that's true. But no, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was very intriguing. Yes, Tim. Tim's reaction to Batgirl is very interesting. You know, she's looking, you know, you know, a little uh, boy crazy. Ariana who? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But I, I think it's ironic that it's Joker that she catches. Um, and, of course, he's sort of the, the centerpiece there. But I feel like Batman acts a little out of character with Joker just because, yeah, he does let him go, right? And he, he doesn't care as much as you would think he would. Uh, but fun story. I just have some some issues with it just because, you know, Barbara is the, the centerpiece here. I love this issue. I love this comic. <laughs> it- you know, when I got it, I, it was divorced in my you know, line of vision from Zero Hour, even though it says, hey, Zero Hour on the very cover. Um, it's a <laughs> very zero hour. It's a very solid, like, like done-in-one comic where, obviously, uh, Batgirl's not supposed to be here, mm-hmm. but it's, it's very concise. I love that, you know, Joker's on the loose, Batgirl catches him, Batman and Robin show up, says, what's going on? And there's kind of a mystery going on that's not exactly solved, but that's kind of the point of the story. That this will this will tie up, and this is a DC Universe thing as opposed to a Batman thing, but it's not. It's kind of, it's kind of one of those kind of crossover issues that I don't. At no point did I ever feel confused because the characters were as confused as I was, and they were explaining enough to the to the characters that the, that the reader could get into. I love the artwork. I love Mike Manley. I wish he did more work. I think I reread, uh, or I think I read for the first time that Superwoman or Supergirl back uh, girl Elseworld story that oh, he did. Oh boy! Well, which I thought was kind of neat. Among Us. Oh yes, <laughs> but and, and also I, I also had the Robin number ten, or so I like the, the reference to Dick Grayson kind of watching over them. But I don't know, like like, like the Joker is kind of you know he's kind of a Batman crook. There's no long overarching nonsense like like a lot of '90s Joker stories were, because the Killing Joke really didn't turn him into the Joker he is now until like 20 years later. I love the artwork. I just love, I love the writing. I like Doug Minch. I don't care what any Tom Panneri says. Oh. Um, I don't know if I picked up on any sort of tension between Oracle and Batman. I do now. I, I read the whole. I am glad, however, that you were able to rise from your chair. That you don't blame. You can't blame her for that. And that, that you know, someone has said, you know, why is able he able to be not paralyzed but not her? And I think that's completely fair. Uh, so th- I, I guess there's that. I don't know if I actually see any tension between the two of them at the end. Whether Batman's you know not taking her emotional state seriously or she's basically kicking him out, I really don't see that. I think it's just the way that the dialogue is situated, where they're trying to figure out what's going on, and she says, "Okay, you go to Metropolis and see what's going on." I don't know. I don't. I, I really don't see anything deeper than that. And if that was there, I think it'd be kind of bizarre—a bizarre contrast. Because if alternate universe Barbara was with Batman, and this one is trying to go her own way and stay away from Batman, what are they trying to say then? Like, is it just kind of having differentiating versions of the character into Batman, or? Would there be something deeper going on? I'm not really sure. So I, I kind of just didn't pick up on that. But uh, I don't know. There's some really, there's some really lovely comic book stuff here, where you know, that Joker shows up with a gun. Batman tricks him with a ridiculous <laughs> uh, uh, feint, and this uh, I love that panel where he's like, you know, it's your own fault, Joker, for reminding me of bad movies. He's swack. I love that. I love that crap. That's some great Batman action. No, yeah, I, I. I this is not the most, you know, greatest story in the world, but this is such a fun Batman comic. I get that Batgirl and Barbara Gordon is the centerpiece of it, and I understand, you know, for a Batgirl podcast and a Batgirl fangirl, it's annoying that she's not more focused on. I absolutely get that. I think it's a completely fair point. 
because I, I don't do a Batgirl podcast, that doesn't really register to me as much. So it doesn't bother me that we don't see much more of her than we do. Although I do think that it was a trick miss that we didn't see the interaction between Oracle and Batgirl because it's not really referenced yeah, again. Yeah, that's just my problem is that the cover shows it, but we don't see that interaction. Like you could have split that in between the last fight, the fight between Batman and the Joker, and kind of go, you know, meanwhile at Oracle's apartment and kind of had that. That would have been interesting. Uh, otherwise, it, it kind of reads like a very straightforward comic book, and it could have been a lot better because of that scene that we didn't see. I will admit that absolutely, but otherwise, I think that this is a this is a great just comic book fun to read. I love this. Don, you're right, and this is uh, this is a really fun. You know what this feels like? This feels like a classic Crisis crossover. This sort of crazy things out of time, and uh, like, and and at the end, he's going to see Superman because weird crap's been happening, and Superman is the person because that's exactly what he does in Crisis on Infinite Earths. If you, if I'm recalling correctly, he runs into the Joker who is killing a movie mogul, and in the middle of the fight, Barry Allen shows up, starts screaming about how everything's unraveling, and then disappears. The Joker escapes, and then. Batman eventually goes and sees Superman because who else are you going to go see? Um, it's a little bit different here, but um, I I had a lot of fun. This and the Robin crossover were both are both just really great great comic books, and uh, the art is is fantastic. Um, Mike Manley, by the way, uh, currently draws the daily comic strip Judge Parker. Okay, okay. So I see it in the Washington Post every Sunday. So, and and I recognize the name. He took over for um, Eduardo Barreto on that uh, prior to Eduardo Barreto's death, and it was just one of those things where I'm flipping through looking for um, you know Garfield or Peanuts or something, and I'm like, oh wait, I know that name. So, uh, but anyway, um, I agree. Show don't tell. Where is the scene with Barbara and Oracle? Like, why are we getting this? She was here. Like, well, why didn't you show us that she was there? There's never going to be any other opportunity for us to see this. <laughs> Where's the payoff? But otherwise, yeah, I don't really have much to add except to say that this is a real, it's just, this is, this is what made, stuff like this is what made Zero Hour fun to read. Mm-hmm. Because you had a lot of books like this where there were just, there was wacky, there were books there where there was wacky stuff going on. And it was fun, and it felt like um, it felt like, hey, we can get some really cool toys out of the toy box and play with them for a little while because there's no huge ramifications if we have you know old Barbara Gordon running around. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be like the only one in the room that says this. I I had no problem that we didn't see the meeting because there is no way that that meeting was going to live up to anybody's expectations. If it had happened, we'd be talking about all the problems we have with how it happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it plays better because in your head it goes however you want it to go rather than how Doug Minch wanted it to go. I I look at Doug Minch as the uh, Ringo star of what? Batman writers at this time. He's <laughs> part of the Beatles. You better, he's not you better the best tread musician. lightly, man. But he's not the best musician of those four compared to John, Paul, and George. I'm just saying. Hmm. That's just my personal opinion. You can hate me all you want. I stand by my statement. Actually, I probably would prefer Alan Grant and Chuck Dixon over him. No, I think about it. 
I mean, I I'm not, uh, and I wasn't in any way insulting Ringo Starr. No, but, no, no, you're fine. You finished that sentence in a satisfactory way. Okay, so so yeah. Okay, well, you didn't say anything. I, I, so I, I, I put I put the baseball bat down. I was like <laughs> I was like, what's he gonna say? He's like, Ringo Starr was probably like the fourth greatest Beatle. I'm like, eh, that's acceptable. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, at what point is is it's like I'm not the best Beatle? You're still a freaking Beatle. You know, know. <laughs> there 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 is no way that you are not cool. Just automatically for being in the group and to be fair Ringo Starr had some fun songs so you know uh but as opposed to Alan Grant or to Chuck Dixon uh, who had who no great like, songs ever yeah who had no great <laughs> songs ever you know who I who I felt closer to as Batman writers I I just think that he might not I would have preferred I hate to say this because uh, I, I don't normally say this I would have loved to have seen what Chuck Dixon would have done with this story. Mm. Oh, he would have crushed it. And yeah. I say that because he handled Oracle better than any of the Batman writers. He did. Case in point, Birds of Prey. I mean, right. so. The creator. So, but, yes, but ha- having said that and dealing with what actually happened, this was the first issue of my Batman 2.0 collecting history. This is when I started buying the books again on a regular basis. And I didn't have the emotional connection to any of these characters back then that I have now. So back then it was just a good issue. Now it's this like extremely emotional issue because I have gotten to know Barbara as Oracle and grown to love her as a character that it it just crushes me that she had to go through this. This is why I'm glad I didn't see that scene. I don't want to see her go through that. Mm. Seeing the aftermath is bad enough, but seeing it happen probably would have would have crushed me even harder. So, on that level, I'll uh, I'll disagree. But other than that, I think I I think I'm on board with you know everybody's you know pros and cons of this issue. You know, it's it's not you know Mike Manley was uh, was actually a better Batman artist than I think he got credit for. And I think that's because he came in at a time where he really wasn't drawing Batman. He was drawing as bats. Yeah. You know, that, that, that was his main thing. And, you know, you had him on this title and then Graham Nolan. So as bats was in pretty good hands artistically through the course of it. And I mean, this is the guy that drew dark Hawk, So he's used to armored characters. Uh, I look at his artwork now. He's a great marriage between Dick Giordano and Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Thanks for mm-hmm. his name. Oh, I yeah, he's got a, <laughs> he has just got such a great slick illustrative style, and I love yeah. that. That's my preferred comic book art style. Uh, not saying that one, you know, that there is only one way to do this because it's art. I mean, you you like what you like. You know, some people like dogs playing poker. Well, like a night there's that uh, issue, like a night If you read the trade, like there's that Catwoman issue with Jim Ballant, which you know, where like that man like is pointing at the end of the issue. But in the next one is Mike Manley in Detective Comics, and it just looks better in my opinion. Same mm-hmm. pose, different artwork. I I think this is one of the better crossovers in the Zero Hour crossover. Did Mike Manley draw Bruce as Batman very much? I, I seem to recall that after Prodigal, he wasn't on the book much longer. I don't think he was. I don't yeah. know where he went. No. So no, I, I, yeah, I don't know where he went either. I think he went over to Marvel again. Maybe. I want to say Kelly Jones came in pretty soon after. Batman, uh, maybe because after this was like the moratorium 
So I think maybe it was Kelly Jones because yeah. Nolan was on. Yeah, Kelly, Jones. Wow. Kelly Jones came on because Kelly Jones was part. Uh, they had Alan Grant and Barry Kitson on Shadow of the Bat. Yeah, you had Dixon and Nolan on Detective. Uh, I guess I should say that sentence correctly. You had Dixon and Nolan crushing it. Oh yeah, on, Hell on yeah. Detective. Uh, even to the point where when Staz Johnson was drawing the book for a little while, it looked amazing as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you had um, Munch and and uh, or Mench and Munch. Yeah, you have John Munch from uh, <laughs> <Nice> Special <laughs> Victims Unit. Oh, yes. I mean, he's been everywhere. He was on Sesame Street. So what the heck? Um, and you had you know, Mench you. and Jones. Bless you on Batman and it was just like again it's like you're coming in third but you're coming in third on a pretty spectacular <coughs> lineup of creators mm-hmm. so you know it, it's like when i say they were my least favorite that's like saying man i had three fantastic meals one of them was just slightly not as good as the other ones so like chocolate's your least favorite ice cream mhm yeah which it is oddly enough yeah. What do you think about the scene where Bruce is with Tim and he sort of basically reveals that Barbara Gordon is Oracle and oh, yeah. him not making any sort of reaction to that um, as I if he knew all along. the writers assumed that, like, that Tim knew this information, you know, at this point. And there's nothing to say that he didn't, you know. It's the whole like who knows like who's who thing is kind of weird depending on like writers because some writers will treat it as sacred information that the person didn't know but Mm -hmm. like he he doesn't actually meet barbara gordon like of like our reality until cataclysm Mm -hmm. when he he blocks her in dick did tim know that barbara gordon was batgirl but does he not know that she's oracle because he says in front of tim you were you were shot crippled by the joker as he kidnapped your father and tim would probably know that's barbara gordon but but then so he gets back- off the phone with Oracle, and he's like, "Man, two bet, you know, two Barbaras, you know, like one in a chair and one not in a chair. Crazy, isn't it? Like it's it's heavily implied." Yeah, but I, I always assume that, given the secrecy of you know how Barbara post Killing Joke was treating her identity, Amy Beddoes, of course, and perhaps Bruce being the only person who would know. That's kind of how I've been treating it, especially when when we get to the next and our last portion of this show. It seems like Tim, when he's contacting Oracle, doesn't know that she is Barbara Gordon. And I don't think she knows and who she, Robin is either. I don't think she knows who she wasn't. She wasn't allowed to know, which I thought was messed up because he knew who she was. That's sexist. <laughs> like in, 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 in Cataclysm, he um he goes to see his dad, and like Oracle says to Nightwing, "Where'd Robin go?" And then he says, I can't tell you. It's a secret identity thing. I'm like, wait, what? You can't trust Oracle? Yeah. Which is, which is completely thrown out in the novelization of No Man's Land, by the way, because there's a whole section where she's like, he's Tim Drake. He's this great kid. He's the all-American guy, and he could have been anything, but he, he chose this life. And he, well, he could have been anything that he wanted to be. I think that- yeah, I, I think that like really the whole Oracle Batman Batman family like I get Oracle wanting to be on her own and not immediately telling the Bat family what she's up to, mm-hmm. but honestly, ever since that when you covered that Suicide Squad issue and there's been the debate in the early '90s of who knew who has identity, I've just been really getting madder and madder because it makes no sense. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> man. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I would assume that Nightwing knew who she was at the very least from Batman 500, because otherwise, you know, like, why would Nightwing be talking the Oracle anyway? So it's I'm, I'm assuming I, I I don't know how they found out or how it was announced to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go with Dawn, too, that like I didn't see the whole like dysfunction in the Bruce Barber relationship when I read this issue. I don't think it was an intended, but however, it's one of those things where because like Stella read it in a way where the writers didn't, where like Stella's like read all of this back to back with that in mind, where it works in the continuity, like and and it works in the subtext in a nice way. I do think that Batman's being like really insensitive to her, where she's like emotionally falling apart. He's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So about that Bell's theorem thing, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And I, and I think Josh makes a good point there that. You know, it it would have been great if the whole thing had been planned out from the beginning. You know, where where she shows up as Oracle and Batman's kind of the first one to figure it out. And then slowly the rest of the family is let in on that. But as much as I love Denny O'Neill as an editor, he didn't seem to care about stuff like that. So I'm I'm just of the opinion that a writer was just like, okay, we're dealing with Oracle. We're dealing with Batman. Batman knows Tim knows she's not allowed to know. And he's just like, ah, whatever. Are the books coming out on time? Does everything make sense? Let's go. I mean, yeah. that sounds just like, but this is how she's always been treated. Um, it's, it's not like it's anything new. This is, you know, I, I think back to back all year one and all of that garbage that happened there. And <laughs> yeah, just crazy. And I remember that random issue. I want to say, no, it wasn't three eleven. I don't think, but, uh, where where Batman takes her down into the uh, into the cave, and then and where's a Bruce takes Wayne off mask? A mask? Yes, a mask, <laughs> a mask, a mask. So it, it's not. Behold, it's not I'm really shock. Bruce Wayne, but not really, but yes, really. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So he's never, I think, I don't know, held her on the same pedestal as he holds himself, I believe, and and other Robins. Though I think it's gotten better. I think the writers have 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 had very uh, you know going back to oh I don't know Lent Ween like certain opinions on Barbara Gordon that are kind of apathetic and that are reflected when they write Batman. Yeah, um, and as a milestone, this is the first time Batman has actually been in Oracle's clock tower. First time we saw the clock tower was in uh, sort of Azrael, but this is the, time, the first time that Batman has it, been. Is it a clock tower yet? It is. I was about to say, was it, okay. 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 Because I, I, I remember trying to, like, when I reread these a while ago, I was trying to figure out when it became a clock tower. Yeah. So, Excellent. ratings. Ratings on this out of 10 bats. I, I agree with you about, like, you know, it, we probably should have seen the scene between mm-hmm. Barbara and Oracle. If nothing else, it would have just been fun to see, even if it was mishandled. But uh, that being said, I'll give this a, <laughs> I'll give this a lot of faith. <laughs> I'll, I'll give this a 9.5 out of 10 bats. I will. I'll. You know what? I think I'm right there with you. Nine point five out of ten sounds pretty much spot on. Because I share your opinion that seeing that scene, even though I think Mike also has a point that my uh, the scene in my head works out better than the one that would have been on the page. But still, so nine point five. Would I? Did I? Would I see it again? Yes. Yeah. Would I recommend it to a friend? Oh, wrong. Wrong show. Okay. Nice. Um. Yeah. Probably. Um. An eight. An eight out of ten. This. This was a fun issue, and uh, my only regret, you know, is that we didn't get that scene. But it's a regret in that, like, you know, it left me wanting more in a good way. 
I, I do want to bring up one thing that because I didn't like re- do a beat by beat review of the issue like the others did. Uh, DC had a habit in the '90s where they were like, "Boy, we sure aren't aren't as silly as we were in the Silver Age," and they would have the characters make fun of Silver Age concepts that the writers would wind up bringing back in another ten years anyway. And like that's why that bat dog line like annoyed me because you had stuff like that all the time in the '90s. Like Superboy said to Matrix, "Like, let me guess, you're from a piece of Krypton that." didn't explode and you're superman's cousin and then oh wait then that actually wound up happening in another 10 years because they brought back the silver age and they'd always do stuff like in a, in all the books and like flash green lantern all of that are you trying so, to say it's too much yes <laughs> too much there moving go. on i'll um why buck the system i'll give it a 9.5 um Mainly because there's there's something ineffable about this issue that doesn't make it like a ten out of ten, but I can't quite name what that is, so I, I'm not going to um, I'm not going to go into it too much. I, I thought it's one of the better zero hour crossovers. It was a good issue of Batman, and in terms of Barbara, I think you know it, it explored just enough. Uh, though I will agree, I think she was handled better in the main series than in this issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to grade it a little bit lower and say 8 out of 10, uh, just because, of course, I do. I, I prize Batgirl so much. It was a fun issue. I don't want to take away from that. but And I very much enjoy the road not taken with the killing joke and just seeing what that would have been like, perhaps as an Elseworlds. But I feel like we're not necessarily seeing a forward-thinking Batgirl, and and it does seem like we're revisiting the Silver or Bronze Age with her. And I do miss out on peeping in on the conversation between Batgirl and Oracle, as I've said before, but I think Michael's right that perhaps we just wouldn't have been satisfied. But I'm just curious, and, and perhaps that's what it is, is because we didn't see it. So in your mind as a fan or a creative person, you're using your imagination, just wondering what that conversation would have been like. And, of course, I think the question was how you got to be in that chair and then going through everything. And as you guys were talking, because I'm silent, as, as everyone knows, I was also thinking that, you know, if Batman had been a kinder, gentler Batman in this one, that a real gift that he could have given Batgirl would have been to bring her to Commissioner Gordon as Batgirl, of Aww. course, but to, for her, like a gift before, you know, she disappeared, I suppose, to see, you know, the father of another Earth, I think would have been a really nice moment. Though she, yeah, fair enough, she was busy. Can, can, I, can I ask, though, wouldn't that have been horrific for Commissioner Gordon? Because didn't he know she was Batgirl? It depends on continuity, which is one of the reasons why I hate Zero Hour. Because there's this some the entire podcast. <laughs> Blaming Zero Hour for continuity problems is like, ah, oh God. But that's what DC that. did. They're like, wait, I thought he knew. Um, Zero Hour. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's true. Is that what they sound like? Yes. Haven't you seen an interview? Because weird things had already been happening, the disappearing, that it could have been accepted. Or, you know, he could have put her on a rooftop and at least showed him or something. But just that she could see her father one last time, even if it was one of another Earth, I think would have been a touching moment as well. So we will leave it there. And we are in our last of our our four-piece part. 
And we are now going over to Tom, and he is going to tell us about Prodigal. All right. Now, I have to back up a little bit just to explain, because as we explain what Prodigal is to anybody who is in the audience who is not familiar with it, but Prodigal is basically a uh, long storyline that stretched out over a few months where Dick Grayson is Batman uh, after Bruce came back at the end of Night Quest, but decided more or less that I'm going to say he came back because he had to, but he wasn't ready. So he went to Dick and said, sub in. But this is something that had been brewing behind the scenes for a while and getting Dick Grayson back into the Bat titles because for since about pretty much since about the early 1980s, he was uh, in the Titans and Marv Wolfman had more or less had most of the control over him. And um, the reason that Dick Grayson is in a nightfall has everything to do with uh, the 1990s Titans storyline called the Titans Hunt, which led into Total Chaos, which led into uh, Titans 100. And if you would like a recap of that, Go over to Pop Culture Affidavit and click a tab called My Life as a Teen Titan, where I blogged through all of that over the course of a few years. In New Titans 114, he officially leaves. And much to Stella's delight, breaks up with Corey. Oh, Um, yay! Well, she breaks up with him. She actually breaks up with him. She stands him up. She flies off to the stars. Um, but anyway, uh, and so Dick ends up and it's, it's in Robin number, um, zero that kind of leads into it. And one of the, one of the plot points of, of that issue, if, if I'm recalling this correctly, is that years ago, Dick had been more or less feels that he was more or less responsible for somebody's death because of, uh, he decided to take on two face in and two face set this trap involving two nooses and Robin number zero, right? Yeah, it was Robin zero. Cause the, cause that, that's a flashback issue essentially that sets up. Cause at the end, Dick puts on the suit and much of the first half of prodigal is Dick coming to basically getting redemption. It's like a against sequel to that zero issue story. It is. It is. So zero, I've, I've considered that zero issue story, almost like the prologue, you know, the, the flashback at the beginning of the movie that tells us, you know, the backstory. And then this is the main story. Uh, but much of prodigal's storyline is Dick cleaning up a lot of the mess that was left over, um, as a result of night quest. Uh, for instance, he takes on the tally man who is going after he, who, who thinks he, who has a, who has a mad on for Asbats, but, Asbats no longer there, so he takes on and and you know and and then he takes I believe he goes after Killer Croc and Ratcatcher and uh, what is the name of the one Robin fights at the end like Silver Knife or Silver Hawk oh, or Silver like, Death or like Steel Jacket uh, or Steel Jacket. Jacket yeah okay um, yeah. and and then at the end of <laughs> and the, Asriel's like a junkie <laughs> yeah Asriel's like yeah and, I did uh, not understand that when I was a kid. Yeah, well, it was it was like they were trying What's wrong to with Azriel. They That's were trying to make cat. yeah they were trying to make us all think that Azriel was John Paul Valley had gone back to becoming like basically it was going to be like Asbat's going to going to come back and he's going to fight Dick, but that didn't happen. And the big 
the big thing at the end of the it's it's an issue of Robin, which is this um pretty well written issue. The art is split between two art teams where the steel jacket fight is a very nineties looking art thing, and then the Batman, the Bruce Wayne Dick Grayson conversation is um I think drawn by Tom Grummet, and it's basically them finally after it was Phil Hemenes, sorry. Um, finally, after all this time, them coming to terms, I think at one point, Bruce refers to Dick as son and, uh, and the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. Oh, and the yeah. And, um, and then Dick, boy, blue and the man, man in the moon, Yes. when you're coming home, son, I don't know when, uh, so, so. Then he goes on. So from the this point, we'll but we'll fight wedding. the Joker yeah. then, Dad. Wow. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away, and he was talking for I knew it, and as he grew, he'd say, I'm gonna be like you, Dad, you know I'm gonna be like you. And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, the little boy doing the man on the when you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we'll get together then, you know we'll have a good time then. So after Prodigal, Dick will go, there will be, I think, Nightwing Alfred's return and then the Nightwing miniseries. And then he goes, gets his excellent, excellent solo series, as long as it was written by Chuck uh, Chuck, uh, Dixon. Um, Grayson was pretty good when it first started. She was up until a point. I, I dropped it somewhere. <laughs> I wonder what point that was. Yeah. <laughs> what point did her run turn south? I, I did come back for Nightwing year one. However, and I did pick it up a little bit. So did many people. Yeah. And I did pick it up around the time of Infinite Crisis and when Wolfman was writing it for a while. But yeah, but but the Chuck Dixon Nightwing stuff, which is being collected in trade as we speak mm-hmm. um, and is available quite a bit digitally as well, is totally worth the money. The back issues are hard to find, too. Um, but uh but yeah, so so that's the the gist of Prodigal. Uh, did you guys want to talk a little bit about what you thought of Prodigal before I go into Detective Six Eighty, which is the which is the main issue that we're gonna that we're gonna talk about here? I guess I'll start off since <laughs> I've I've been the one to, to start off everything. Sorry, it's, no, that's okay. Uh, again, I didn't know this existed. I think I re- well, I remember the word being dropped, of course, on Tom's show, which I listened to. He helped me complete my half marathon training because I listened to him as I was running. But, you know, listening to someone talk about a story is sometimes difficult if you've never read it before. And I hadn't until I had Night's Quest. And I don't know if I would, or Night's End, rather. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I would have unless I had it collected in that form. So I finally have read it. It's funny because my only, as I was reading this, I kept thinking about the title, right, Prodigal. And my only note for this on my sheet is says, get biblical. <laughs> and <laughs> it, it really does on my sheet. 
and of course, this is, you know, the prodigal son is uh, in, in Luke. Get caught up in a tornado of laughter and fun in VeggieTales, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, the story of a prodigal son. It's harvest time on the dental floss farm, and Darby's family needs his help. But he longs for fun and adventure in the wonderful land of Haas. They have this roller coaster and even one of those bouncy castles where you jump around and you knock your heads together till you pass out. Running away from home, he swept into an incredible adventure. Along the way, he meets a scarecrow. I'm a bag on a stick. A tin man. I must seek adventure. Have you considered a career in telemarketing? And a hungry lion. You know what I really love? Cotton candy. Together, they discover a land where the fun seems like it will never end. But when the money runs out... Getting what you want has a price, you know. Darby realizes that there's no place like home. But can he return to the family he deserted? I can't go home. My dad could never forgive me for what I've done. It's a story of a prodigal son with a life-changing lesson in forgiveness. I love you, little mister. I love you, big mister. That was the happiest ending ever! Plus, in an all-new silly song, Bob and Larry are up to some serious monkey business. If it doesn't have a tail, it's not a monkey. Even if it has a monkey kind of shape. If it doesn't have a tail, it's not a monkey. If it doesn't have a tail, it's not a monkey. It's an ape. Cucumbers, asparagus, and monkeys? Oh, my. Veggie Tales presents the wonderful Wizard of Oz. And the only... I'm not going to get super biblical, right? Because I know that our viewership or our listenership is, you know, falls on either side of this line. But the idea is that, you know, one of the sons goes off and spends his inheritance. You have a, and, you have a big Buddhist listenership, so yeah. Well, I mean, some people may not believe what I do. So one of the sons spends his inheritance and unfortunately gets himself in a pickle. And the other son stays with his father the entire time. Now, the other son comes back, and he is the prodigal son, right? He returns, and his father welcomes him with open arms and everything. But the older son is he's, – he's a little bitter over this. So a lot of people focus on, of course, the prodigal son returning. Uh, this was a parable, and it's just the idea that God will welcome you back no matter. He always searches for the lost coin or the lost sheep. So here we have the lost son. But some people also neglect, you know, how this older son was was reacting to this return and everything. And I really like that, even though, you know, Nightwing is in essence the prodigal son, right, that he returns um, and he's welcomed back by Batman and he takes his place. I like the fact that Tim, who could in fact, you know, could have been bitter, right, is not. I, I really like – so that's where, you know, my biblical thing ends is that we – it's just such a great relationship that all three of them have and that Tim and Dick have, uh, which I think is my favorite part to seeing them work together. And it's also very interesting the level of lack – well, I guess the lack of confidence that Dick shows at some points. He's very Dick Grayson, I think, than we see later when he takes up the, the Batman cowl again with Damien. And Tim is very much I, – I love Tim. I very much, you know, really uh, enjoyed him in this journey of my reading of Nightfall because he's very much a moral compass for several people. He's the the – 
sort of the rock in, in all this craziness that always goes down. And he tries to calm people and talk them off of the bridge. And here he's also the morale booster, I think, for, for Dick as well. So it's just a very interesting journey. But I think it also went to show us, the readership, as well as Dick, that he's not really ready for this cowl. And I think he doesn't necessarily want it either. I, I think it was just it didn't fit well, you know, metaphorically and literally. So I very much enjoyed this story overall. And then I guess we'll we'll talk about Twice Told Tale as well. It's a good for uh, it's a good bookend to with Tim being that moral compass and Tim being that persecuted advice is a good bookend to New Titans sixty five where in with the where there's this whole plot going on with the Titans, but that's the issue where Dick goes uh, Tim shows up at Dick's apartment and Dick essentially starts training him in detective work and he's the one giving Tim the advice. So it's almost like uh, these two had such a great relationship that mm-hmm. um, that I think that's one of the really strong points about Prodigal. Absolutely. Um, which is funny because like, like if you read Night, all of the Night Saga – Bruce was kind of trying to keep him in, keep Tim out of harm's way by putting himself in harm's way, so he kind of ends up yelling at Tim a lot. And then yeah. Jean-Paul is just downright abusive towards him. So it is cool to see the classic Dick and Tim relationship truly uh, flourish in this story. Because, I mean, all throughout, you know, until the continuity restarted, the Tim and uh, Dick relationship was elaborated on later on. There's, you know, Nightwing number 8, Nightwing number 25. Mm-hmm. Uh, Young Justice number whatever, whatever, when they have like chimichangas or something. And uh, I know Josh and Bailey are going to, you know, rant about Red Robin number one where Damien kicks him out of the back cave and Nightwing kind of – or Dick kind of shrugs. But uh, generally, there there's a true brotherly relationship between the two of them. And yeah. if nothing else, you go to Prodigal for this. I like this story. I don't know if it's all that ne- necessary for the overall night era, nice Nightfall era because – you get it with Broken Bat, then Nightfall, Night Quest, Night Search, Night's End. Bruce leaving all of a sudden, kind of giving it to Dick, seems really random. And they didn't really – I don't know if they actually had a, a reason for that other than just to do the story until they retconned it in No Man's Land where, oh, actually I was making bad bunkers somewhere. Yeah. Spoilers. And, and it, for, for a story that is the way it is where there's a, um, there's the one story arc with Two-Face that kind of ends in the middle of it. it might, why one big peeve with Prodigal is that it feels anticlimactic. Or that it, yeah, it just it just kind of it just kind of ends and then goes into Troika. Um, whereas I, I think it could have they could have used there could have been like one more thing in there that that was a good uh, you know that that was just the kind of like that one moment where Dick kind of makes the decision on her own on his own rather than Bruce coming back and saying, "All right, son." <laughs> what I like, well, they, they, uh, that is true. If you uh, plug, if you look at my my list of top ten slash ish. Classic Batman issues to read. I list like several issues, like Titans 50, New Titans fifty five and uh, mm-hmm. Batman four sixteen and Lonely Place to Die number five. That kind of examines Bruce and Dick's relationship post crisis. And quite honestly, the last part of uh, Prodigal really does kind of conclude that that kind of tension they've had since post crisis yeah. began, where they constantly talk in the Batcave. <laughs> yeah, and you do that, you can go to that for that for that kind of closure. I mean, I like Prodigal overall, just because I don't think it's all that necessary doesn't mean I don't think it's a good story. Right. You have you know. Dixon, Lee but, Weeks, Doug Mensch, all yeah, those guys. But that conversation works on a much higher level if you've been reading or if you've read all the way back starting with Max Allen Collins and well, Jim Starlin, uh, I think, four sixteen. Rob, well, no, like with four oh eight, did Robin died. Yeah. Where he got fired. 
So if like, you start, whoa, whoa, whoa! I, yeah. I didn't think you'd actually get hurt. Yeah. So, <laughs> if you start, I, with I, I that, can't have a nineteen-year-old getting hurt on my conscience. Yeah, and and he and he fires him. So if you start with that and then with that, it's it, you know, it's it's a it's a fuller story. But within the what is it, thirteen parts of Prodigal, twelve or thirteen parts, it's a little. Uh, it's good. It's it's still a really great conversation, but there is that feeling of anticlimax at the end of. Yeah. I think I think overall I like it. Uh, I think oh yeah, it's a good story. Again, not not all that integral, and legitimately, like, do you guys know what? Why did they? Was it just to explore the idea of Dick Grayson's Batman? Why? Where, where did Bruce go initially? Did they have an idea for this, or did they just kind of write him out for no reason? Where did they go? I don't know. Mike, Mike, do you have any idea? I I I don't think they probably was just a way to kind of get him off the table for a little while because him becoming Batman right away was would have been kind of weird because of everything that had happened. So on a story level, it makes sense that he would just kind of take off for a little while. I know later they revealed that he was actually, you know, one of the things he was doing was establishing all the small bat caves that he would use during No Man's Land. Mm-hmm. Um, which, again, is why without Nightfall, you don't have No Man's Land uh, on on a number of levels. But, um, no, I I just think, I I love this story. I was, it's kind of funny because as as much as Tom and I see eye to eye on things, we were on like polar opposites of of bat reading at this time. Because when this story was going on, I was just getting back into it and he was ready to check out for a little while because he was just tired. Yeah, after this story, I only picked up Detective Robin and Nightwing Mainly because of Chuck Dixon, and so that had me going for a while. Um, it is one of those stories that is great as you're reading it, but you start seeing kind of the holes in it later. Uh, like, for example, until the Leylands covered this on Hey Kids Comics, I was completely convinced that Two Face was the bad guy throughout the entire story, and they wrap that up relatively quickly. In the trade, it's yeah. like ha- it's like half of the trade. I think they I wrap think it up like right in the middle of the story. Yeah. I, I much preferred the the Robin issues over um, with Detective yeah, kind of coming in in second, and it's kind of funny because Phil Jimenez was was drawing the title, so it wasn't Tom Grummet, but I just got more out of those in but terms some of some great the, Tom Grummet covers. Covers, yeah, absolutely. That's why that's why I was mistaken. Uh, it also has one of my single favorite Tim Drake fight scenes. I know uh, what you're towards, talking about. Towards the end, when the Eddie and 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 Kurt or whatever their names are kind of hassle him at the theater and beat him up and he mm-hmm. runs into them later and this master martial artist who has been trained by Batman and Lady Shiva and that dude in France that had the obnoxious punk grandson that Tim ended up kicking his ass during uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Legacy which was beautiful uh, he he opens with a solid knee to the crotch I mean it's just no so girlfriend, no cops, no witnesses. Yeah. So <laughs> awesome. But no, I, but like, I like. Yeah. I like it because it explore. It, it really. This is the story that made it easier to accept Dick Grayson becoming part of the Batman family again. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's him. You're right. It's it, it. It's not as the last part is effective. I think Batman Four Sixteen is more effective as a conversation. And probably one of the best standalone Batman issues ever. Yeah. True. But uh, at the same time, it was a satisfying end 
to Dick's arc through this story where, you know, he's happy about being Batman. You know, he comes to terms with it. He's excited, but almost immediately he's like, I don't know if this is what I want to do because really Dick would, Dick became Batman because he had to on two occasions. It wasn't like Wally who became it because his mentor died. Uh, and it wasn't, didn't Donna become Wonder Woman right she after did, Infinite right Crisis? right after Infinite Crisis. Um, so, like an arc. And she, that was just, yeah. and she did that basically <coughs> because Diana wanted some time alone. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the two times Dick did it, it's because he almost had to. And I think also Prodigal was a bone to the fans. It was, you know, like, all okay, everybody who's bitched that Dick Grayson didn't become Batman, here he is, he's Batman. Shut up already. <laughs> uh, Shut up and buy our comics. Yeah. But it was still a good story. And I think when you go, and, and I know we're not going to be talking about it, but if you go from uh, Vengeance of, uh, sort of Asriel number one, and read, you know, Vengeance of Bane and all of the issues leading up to Nightfall, and then Nightfall, Night's Quest, Night's End, Prodigal, and then Troika. It is this amazing roller coaster ride of Batman and his world. Oh yes, everything is shaken to its core, and at the end of it, he's renewed. He's learned a lot of lessons. Now, to be fair, he'd keep screwing up during the course of the nineties. He has a new uh, costume that he'll never wear again. Uh, a new costume that he'll wear until uh, basically, I think he said he looked at it and went. Okay, if there's an earthquake in Gotham, I'll stop wearing this. Well, oh, like no, he looked at it and says, if Kids WB takes away the Oval, I better take away the Oval, too, because that's what DC Comics does. <laughs> that was a no man's land. <laughs> but like, there's that one where like they hit the leg spikes and stuff, which like in the complete Batman like, like history or whatever that came recently, he said that was a bad idea in his journals, <laughs> which I love. So I, I think... You know, if, if we're going to talk about it from the perspective of Batgirl and, and, and Oracle and Barbara Gordon, eh, the story doesn't do much for her, but it's really great for Dick Grayson. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Bailey said, this was a bone to the fans, but it's it was writing the wrong that Nightfall did, and it was kind of giving the fans that sense of closure, too. You know, and the universe, that sense of closure, where, like, this is what it should have been all along, now you can see it, and... It was also – if you read you know, Titans, Dick Grayson's life is falling apart, then like you know, you don't really see him return to the Batcave. Just Night's End happens, and Bruce is like, hey, Dick – or hey, Tim, guess what? Dick's here too. Isn't that great? And there's a few points in Prodigal where you see how the whole transition from going from the Titans office to the bad office is weighing on Dick. That's why I love that Tallyman issue where like – Dick Grayson's life continuity errors and all is flashing before his eyes. Agree, and you know, yeah, because you know you see him back in Gotham and everything, and the Tim Dick relationship is great, and I actually like that Alfred's not there because it gives you know the two a chance to kind of reflect on the empty house now that everyone's gone and to do things somewhat on their own, you know, uh, together as the dynamic duo. Uh, this did start the practice of every time we had to recap Robin's origin stories, you'd have Tim and Dick being like, boy, remember our origin story and telling it to each other when they were both there for each other's origins. But for some like, like sure. this happened like three or four times in the 90s. But And I love the Commissioner Gordon scene where he tells Dick Batman off. He's like, 
you know, your height's different, this and that. And Dick's like, is that a problem? He's like, damn straight, it's a problem. I've been putting my neck out for you for who I thought was the same man for all these years. You know, I like that stuff. I didn't necessarily like the Sarah Essen, you know, being like a Silver Age, you know, girlfriend in this story, like constantly getting mad at Jim and storming off, you know, that 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 I could have done without. But I like, you know, the Gordon stuff in this. And I, I love the it in No Man's stuff. Land how he still is, he's still mad about that. Like years later, he brings up, you think I did not know it was you the entire time? Like Batman's like, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were stupid. <laughs> well, and then in Contagion, like when they're uh, trying to escape that tower or something, you know, he says, is this the real you? He says the one and only. All right. Good enough. Let's do this. With a twinkle in his eye. <laughs> yeah. And they start t- singing sometimes when we touch. As the building's on fire. For more, for more of that, check out the soft tacular. <laughs> I think that was one of the songs. Batman too. and Gordon sing the hits. Uh, all right, so the issue that we're going to focus on in the Prodigal storyline is Detective Comics number six eighty, which is uh, titled "A Twice Told Tale." Our creative team is. Chuck Dixon, writer, Lee Weeks and Graham Nolan, pencilers, Joe Rubenstein, guest inker, Adrian Roy, colorist, John Costanza, letterer, Darren Vincenzo, associate editor, Scott Peterson, editor, Batman created by Bob Kane. With Bill Finger. I'm I'm reading verbatim off the issue credits. The cover, which is by Lee Weeks, shows Batman diving out of the way of bullets fired by Two-Face, who is holding two Uzis, has flames behind him, and Robin tied up in front of him. They've appeared to be in a warehouse of some sort. It's one of the more dynamic covers of this prodigal storyline and shows more or less something that we will see later on in the story. So on to that story. What came before this is that Harvey Dent was released from prison based on a typo, one that got him confused with Harvey Kent, and now he's (laughs) out to destroy the Gotham legal system. Dick Grayson, also known as Batman, is out trying to stem the flow of crime that has resulted from his this error and Dent's release, and meanwhile, Two-Face has the real Harvey Kent hostage in a warehouse, and Kent really doesn't understand how he has anything to do with what was basically a coincidence, because it was. There are also incidents and accidents and hints and allegation, but Harvey Dent doesn't want us to call him Al or Harvey Kent, no matter how advantageous that seems, and instead talks about he believes in only luck and winners and losers. Harvey rants quite a bit in this issue. Meanwhile, Tim Drake is trying to figure out what's going on by using his Google Foo power, and he hits dead a dead end after dead end after dead end. Plus, he feels guilty because he didn't help Dick take care of things over at Blackgate. So he calls for help from Oracle. Then he gets interrupted by his dad, to which Babs can relate. Speaking of Babs' dad, we cut to him having a spat with his current wife, Sarah Essen, over how to handle the latest with Two-Face. We then cut back to Robin and Oracle, and she's a little stymied because this doesn't have all the makings of a Two-Face scheme. Tim tells Babs that it's all a revenge scheme on everyone that Harvey hates, and just as he's about to elaborate, Babs gets a call from Jim, but she has to blow him off so that she can tell Tim to check the Hall of Records, while Gordon requests a cot in his office, well, because let's just say he's not going to be sleeping with Sarah tonight. Robin heads to the Hall of Records while Shotgun Smith... In all continuities, he doesn't have a house. Awesome. (laughs) I'm assuming that's Shotgun Smith and not Harvey Bullock. Uh, Sheriff Smith, yeah. Yeah. Uh, unloads cr- some criminals from a prison bus and gets knocked around by, to the ground by Clue Master and another criminal named Zonk. 
They grab his gun and make a run for it, but are taken down by Batman, who then hops in the Batmobile and gets a message on his Bat voicemail from Robin, who tells him that he's headed to the records annex in Midtown. Dick guns the Batmobile and heads toward the records annex, where Robin is tied up on a table with Harvey Kent on a table next to him in a similar position. Because Two-Face. Two-Face not being stupid or insane, or at least not too insane to realize that there's been more than one Robin, talks to Tim about how he made the first Robin afraid. We have a brief flashback to that incident we saw way back in Robin number zero, which was that double noose trap. And then Dick kills the lights and Two-Face and his goons start firing at anything and everything everywhere. Two-Face starts screaming about how to play the game, so to speak, and he goes to flip his coin, but the coin gets hit by a batarang while it's in midair. Still tied up, Harvey Kent asks Robin if he ha- if Batman has a plan, and that plan involves driving a forklift at Harvey. Screaming that Batman is cheating, Two-Face shoots at what was above the tables holding Robin and Harvey. Kent platforms way down with crates full of legal files. Yes, in case you need a little su- less subtlety, Two-Face was planning on killing Robin or Harvey Kent, maybe both, by literally burying them in paperwork. Oh, I did not get that. Ah! <laughs> I'm a teacher. It's basically my job. Um, It doesn't happen because Batman forklifts the two tables out of the way, then knocks Harvey out of the way. And as the police take him away, Batman and Robin stand on a ledge and talk. Robin says that Dick got a second shot at Two-Face and took him down. And Dick says, I wish it made me feel better. Funny thing is, just as I'm getting good at this, I know I'm going to have to give it up. Jeez, lighten up, Dick. Jeez. (laughs) So, Stella, what did you think about this issue? I, I liked the issue, and it's uh, so reminiscent of Robin, year one, which, of course, is just a big theme, I think, that runs throughout here. Just the fact that Dick has gone up against Two-Face before, and he made a mistake, and this is something that really plagues him. But, yeah, it's great to see their partnership. It's great to see that Dick as Batman, and Batman himself is not infallible, and Dick is still learning, and he's not entirely comfortable in the boots and the cowl. As for Barbara's uh, scene, which I guess I'll, I'll focus on a little bit there, first interaction between, well, I guess if we don't count um, Batman 511, first interaction between Tim and Oracle that he's using her. And here again, I mean, she says Robin, right? So I, I feel like he doesn't, in this particular issue, doesn't know who Oracle is. And vice versa is true as well. But it's nice that, you know, she sort of uh, a nice interaction between the two and that she relates, obviously, because of her uncle slash father, depending on continuity. <laughs> but again, we have her appearing in a, a bad book. So it goes back to what Donovan had started off saying. Still think she's kind of on the periphery, but she's sort of moving in closer to the to the bat family. But overall, I, I enjoyed Prodigal. I liked it. Yeah, and and I think, you know, I guess we were joking about this before. I don't know if the recording started or not. We were talking about this, but yes, Dick becomes Batman again, but very different stories and a very different Dick Grayson. So I feel like if you're a fan of of the Grant Morrison run and then beyond a little bit post-Batman R.I.P. and all that stuff, uh, that you should read this. You should read a less confident Dick Grayson, which I was very happy to see, because sometimes, you know, you can only take so much uh, cockiness, you know. Um, I like this issue. Lee Weeks and Graham Nolan are different artists, but 
honestly, like the first t- couple times I read this issue a few years ago, I didn't really notice the difference for some reason. Maybe because I was stupid. But um, I think they have the same anchor actually. Uh, but oh, this is they cool. Say, you know, this is Detective Comics, so there's a lot of detective work in here, which is which is always fun to see. I like the fact that because Tim Drake has, was kind of built bigged up initially as you know the computer whiz kid Robin. He knows about computers and he's good with technology. But I like the fact that like he can't figure out what's going on, so he goes to Oracle. And I, I, whenever Oracle and Robin do interact, and it's not often, but every now and then when there's like one on one, they have a kind of a cool relationship where they don't know each other very well, but they're very pleasant towards each other. He's like, ah, Robin, right? I love the look on her face where, like, he's like, yeah, my dad was listening. She's like, ah, I can relate. That That's that's <laughs> cool to me. And I also really like the fact that both uh, Tim's dad is completely well-meaning, but Tim just has to blow him off for Robin stuff, which is a big theme of the Robin comic. And uh, Oracle ends up doing the same thing, because uh, Jim has hell at home. Yeah. You know, Jim uh, is, you know, his marriage is strained by his feelings over Batman. So he's like, ah, uh, Barbara, my one friend, my own daughter, please give me some solace. Hey, Dad, I got to talk to you later. Bye. Like, she kind of blows him off. And uh, I like that, where, like, she's not being mean or anything like that. But I love showing the difficulties of uh, Crime Fighter's life by interacting the, the different character interactions. You know, Jim's a cop. She's Oracle. Tim Drake is Robin. They're all like on the on the same side, but they're all operating, you know, on different levels of the same arena. And actually, honestly, this is this is actually a really brilliant scene that Chuck Dixon did, where you have this kind of thing. It's kind of brief, but Oracle. This is probably her biggest appearance aside from Zero Hour in these issues. Is Oracle, and honestly, I like that use of the characters where you have them. You you expand on them by having them interact differently, even though the scenes are fairly brief. So. uh in terms of like an Oracle Barbara Gordon uh, uh, portrayal, I quite like this because it shows her interaction with both that family and her own personal fa- personal father, her own father, um, and the issue was was solid as well. Yeah, when I was younger and I read this issue, and when Tim says dad stuff and she says I can relate, and the scene switched to like Jim Gordon, I actually thought that that was like clever and hilarious at the same time, and I called my dad into the room to show him. I was a stupid kid <laughs> who got annoyed at ten year timelines, but apparently. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, um, but yeah, I, I, most of my thoughts about the issue expand into you know what I said about Prodigal before. But that's all you know. I have to say, you know, we kind of covered the whole Tim Barber relationship when we were debating about the identities, um, uh, in the zero hour discussion. I uh, I don't really have much to add to the conversation because you guys pretty much covered anything I would want to talk about. I I'm useless and and therefore Sorry. need to be fired. No, um, Sorry. not as useless as I am. It's 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 Chuck Dixon writing Batman and writing Barbara and writing Tim, so I'm going to like it pretty much right off, and that's really all. You guys have basically said all the other really good points about the issue, so I'm just going to hand it off to the next person. Yeah, there are two. There's like three things I want to bring up because you guys really did say, and we we talked a lot when we were talking about Prodigal as a whole too. But um, one. The fact that Gotham, she says, Gotham's still in the Dark Ages as far as computerizing the Annex still holds most of the court documents. That makes total sense. I just, knowing the early 90s and the government is one of the last entities to ever catch up to, like, technology in that regard. So it's totally plausible that you could have this very classic Two-Face, you know, Rube Goldberg-esque, death trap because because like 
I mean, one of my my first job out of college was with the federal government, and they were still doing a lot of paperwork, that type of thing. So, it, like to me, I'm like, yeah. And Gotham is like, I always think of Gotham at least during the 70s and 80s as New York from like the late 70s and early 80s, which was just a festering hellhole. And um, so it, it totally makes sense. So two, this scene between Robin and Oracle, which I really like, I love how well this scene is lit too. I was just flipping through it as you guys are talking about it. And, you know, it's Tim's in his bedroom at night and Barbara's got the lights off and she's lit by the computer screen. I have to give credit to Adrian Roy in this scene. Cause it's, it's, and the scene with Jim and Sarah, cause it's different than like every other scene in the book. And uh, I think she does a great job coloring it. It just gives it a nice, a nice mood. Nobody has the lights on. Yeah. Well, they, they, but you know, you're, it's late at night when, you know, you're a teenager and, um, you know, Tim's dad walks in and he's like, you catch him doing something. It's it just, I, I like, I, I like how she set the mood with that. And, um, and, but yeah, overall, and, and my third thing is I have, I have the physical issue in front of me, so I get to see the ads. This is a very nineties comic in terms of its ads. We have, we have two zit cream ads. Because comics and Zit Cream go together. We have Star Trek Generations. We have the Superman Death and Return of Superman video game. Heck oh, yeah. The Skybox Superman trading card set. Some football cards. DC Comics Online, courtesy of AOL. Billy, oh, sorry, Scott Wolf in, and Alyssa Milano in Double Dragon the movie. <laughs> and, awesome. and and I, I was trying to remember like what did i say about this issue when i covered it on taking flight and now i remember there is this wonder woman ad with artemis in the wonder woman costume drawn by mike deodato jr who does not get not punished enough for his crimes in the 90s whoa and it's the, the headline on the ad is taking it to the streets which i think i dropped <laughs> it to the street thank you michael mcdonald <laughs> and I think I'm pretty sure. And that I think it Wow. <laughs> He sings Yamo, be there one more time. I'm going to Yamo, burn this place to the ground. Um, I think I went off on a pretty mini rant in that episode about Wonder Woman 100, which is a, like, if you want a 90s comic. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, how these two women fight, like, evil 90s demons with their underwear jammed so far up, you know, where it's beyond me. Oh, it's, it's just, like... It's, I'm gonna fight in hot pants. Yeah, it's I'm it's available on Comicsology, guys. If they you had know. no choice. Oh yeah, but uh, but yeah, it's just, it was integral to the story. Yeah. So or or the other argument, men superhero wear revealing clothes too. Reverse <laughs> sexism. You know, it, it, the issue isn't. I mean, one of the issues is revealing clothing, and and that's that. This that's is a separate control. thing on and of itself. So it's the practicality of it. You want to. You want to piss somebody off? Show my wife an action movie where a woman is fighting in heels. She <laughs> will go off. About also, in this ad, she liked Jurassic World. We haven't seen it yet. <laughs> you might not want to. 
in this ad, Artemis's hair is like Spawn's cape. It it just goes. <laughs> nice. So anyway, just to, to bring it back on topic, because I'm not I'm good for I'm only good for digressions. Uh, it's it's Chuck Dixon on Batman. I mean, you don't mm. need much more than that. It's got some great detective stuff. It has some really well paced, well done action scenes. And I think that I think you're right. I think Graham Nolan and then Stas Johnson, whoever else came out, was on there with him. He he had a he teamed up with some very good artists over the course of his run on all of the titles he wrote, and I think that really helped as well. Like I said, this was actually this is part seven of Prodigal. This is right about the midpoint. This is the end of that Two Face storyline, and and from here on out, that's where I say it kind of starts to end up being anticlimactic because you feel like okay, Dick's kind of gotten over this big hurdle, and then he's not Batman for very much longer. And not that I wanted him to be Batman for like four more years because we had just gone through what seemed like an enormous amount of time with. Well, this was like a summer Batman. thing, right? Yeah, it was. It was summer, summer ninety five or ninety four because Prodigal was fall and winter ninety fall winter. Okay. Because yeah, zero, zero hour came out in July into August. Yeah. So it was fall winter ninety four into into ninety five, and then although maybe and and. The 95, 95, 96, this was right around the time where they started that moratorium. It was after Legacy where they had the moratorium on yeah. the crossovers because you had you had Prodigal uh, at the very – bleeding into 1995 mm-hmm. or at least the, Cover Day 1995. Yeah, then Troika. And then, and then, and then Troika. And then the, the, the series were more or less on their own until the beginning of 1996 when you had Contagion. Contagion. And then a couple months, and then a couple months after Contagion, you had Legacy, and that was the summer of '96. Mm-hmm. So pretty much from like the fall of 1996 all the way up to whenever in '98 uh, Cataclysm, Cataclysm started, which was probably I think towards the end of the year, mm-hmm. uh, because I was back working at Flash Foods at that point. Uh, and yeah, this is how I remember stuff of where I was working. Cause when you're an adult, that's what you do. Uh, or at least it's what I do. So yeah, there, there was, there was like a, a long stretch, like a, almost two Take years. Take that, Jacob. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Just bring in something that I don't understand and now I feel like I'm going to get like mugged at some point for something I didn't really deserve <laughs> no, you won't but Josh will so but no it's um I, I completely lost my point in my nerd rage no it's because of Josh uh, so I don't blame you nerd- I blame him as always well, final thoughts on just the um, the development of Babs over Barbara. these three stories here. I think that like this is these stories that we all covered. They really do bring her back in the Bat family. I, I mean, these are the, the chronological, sequential orders in which she interacts with Batman, and you know, it, it's several years before Birds of Prey starts up. I think, <laughs> and it, I think by the end of the decade, she's a lot more of, of a uh, you know regular member on all the Bat Family comics, but uh, it's definitely starting here, where she went through Super Side Squad, she went through Hawk and Dove and Firestorm and all that kind of stuff. Now she's finding her way back into Gotham more regularly, and she did some really, really classic stories. So, I mean, I don't know, besides Zero Hour, 
I don't know if her impact in these stories is all that uh, memorable, but you know, none of these stories were awful. In fact, they were quite good. So I think uh, I had a fun time reading these, even though she was a tiny, kind of a bit player in all of them. Yeah, it'll be 1996 when Birds of Prey finally comes around. Okay, before Nightwing then. Uh, uh, yeah, she didn't. She didn't do much thoughts? in these, but it was yeah. nice to see her interacting, you know, with the Bat family and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, wheeling her way, you know, into Batman's world a little, you know, more so. Mm-hmm. And, and and again, even in wheeling Nightfall, we way. yeah, was that pun uh, intended? Well, she can't. She can't just walk in there. I mean, her oh, spine. It's, oh. <laughs> so you're you're every... hey, hey, hey. The world is way too PC these days. You know, oh my like, gosh, you fish. and your social just what? I that wasn't fish. Falcon's a week old man. <laughs> I'm not going to do anything for ten episodes, but you know, talk about what I'm going to do. Um, and we get some Dick and Babs. You know. Quasi ship. No, we don't. Like, <laughs> well, hey, hey, he spoke to her between panels, and then he was on a cover to, you know, wish her well. So it's, uh, they're gonna interact again soon. And that's true. I think it's a stretch to say that there's shipping involved here, though. Even See, he says he heard about it from Oracle. Ergo, he and Oracle talk sometimes. You know. Sure. She's like, so how's that marriage going? The Starfire that you, you know, left me for after the engagement. Yeah, I, 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 I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, by the way, and she's like, by the way, Dick, are you ever wondering how Raven knew where the wedding was? <laughs> 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 I told her after you screwed me and left the next morning. Uh, That's terrible. <laughs> that priest's blood is on Barbara's hands. I would throw the book. She's just that like that hooker for um, that she killed in battle for the cow. Oh my! Tom, Mike, anything? I don't know how I can follow a hooker getting killed in battle. For I the just cow. ignore it and do my own thing. <laughs> uh, Read watch, the story. It totally kills That's what hooker. you have to do with Josh. You just um, what he said. In, in terms of Barbara. Outside of Zero Hour, I don't think she was served as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're going to focus on her as a character, yeah, uh, I think Zero Hour, Dan Jurgens treated her with a respect that the character hadn't seen since before Crisis on Infinite Earths. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really liked it, and, I, and it kind of made me wish that they would have half-ass brought back the multiverse at that point because you could have had an, a reality where she was Batgirl. Um, I really need to ask him at some point if she was supposed to be the time trapper at the end of that. Uh, and, you know, seeing her in the other stories, we're not at a point yet where, uh, you know, other people have said this, but I'm going to I'm gonna reiterate it. We're not at a point yet where she is like a huge part of the Batman family. In fact, right. what we, what most people think of as the Batman family of the 90s. That's not here yet. Was yeah. was yeah? It, it took so long to get there, but once it was there, it felt like it had been there the entire time. Which is why when you look back on this stuff, it's kind of weird because you're like, oh yeah, she really wasn't. I mean, Birds of Prey started out as one shots and miniseries, all available in trade paperback now, right? By the mm-hmm. way, including yeah. one where cool. she becomes Batgirl again via um like a hallucination spell. So I you know. I think that while these aren't good stories for her, they're all good stories. Like right. if you're a Batman fan, this is this is the place to be at the point they're because good. Night the Nightfall. It's kind of funny, you know. Superman went through the death and return cycle 
and came out stronger than ever. Batman went through his, you know, rise and fall and rise again, and he came out stronger than ever. All the other characters they tried to do this with, that just fell flat on their faces. And I think it's because both Superman and Batman were doing it to explore the character while everyone else was chasing an event. Spider-Man. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I mean, and they were upfront about that. I mean, you know, Glenn Greenberg has talked about that a lot. So yes. I will say, though, as awful and 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 I like Bill William Esner Loeb's, but as awful as those Wonder Woman issues are, the the person who followed up Wonder Wonder Woman one hundred and one is the first issue of the John Byrne run, mm-hmm. and that was a de- halfway decent course correction for that book. So, yeah. um, I mean, I mean, he, he brought her back to being just kind of more of a straight up superhero. Yeah. And he drove Terry so. long off a cliff too. So, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. But then he went and screwed over Donna Troy some more. So oh, it's God. like, to listen. you know, but, one, one hand giveth and the other hand like yeah. rips your throat out. Yeah. So, and, and I thought he simplified Donna Troy. So believe it or not, I thought that it simplified her yeah, somewhat they, and brought her back to her roots. And I never liked the whole, um, new Kronos thing, but, but then he did something that was awesome and, confusing as hell at the same time by making Hippolyta the golden age wonder Wonder woman. Yeah. But digression. Yes. We'll say it. We'll say We'll save it for next year when all five of us do one 75th anniversary wonder woman episode somewhere along. Oh, wow. You know, we, somebody's going to do it. (laughs) And clearly they'll invite us on because we're all known for our love of wonder woman. Absolutely. Did Does anyone in our just... circle have a Wonder Woman podcast? I don't think no. so. Um, from from Lasso the Plane, the bullets and bracelets. <laughs> there is one that is out every once in a while, hosted by a guy named Frank. Huh. Diablo Frank? Yes, Diablo Frank. Okay. okay. I, I forgot. You know these people, Stella. Yeah. Only through Shag. <laughs> oh, um, only through again. Shag. See, see, I got, I, I got nothing here because one, I've known Shag longer than all of you, and the irredeemable Shag. And two, I mean, you know, Stella might be the flavor of the week, but he's always going to come home to me. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, Barbara. Gordon. I, I, I delivered Firestorm to what Shag, and when I say Firestorm, I don't mean like issue five. I mean I delivered the man Firestorm to him. Yeah, so, I know. Yeah, yeah. Rob yeah. Bell himself. So, Mike, if if you're Barbara, if you're Barbara to Shag's Nightwing, does that make Stella Corey? Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> she, <laughs> You know, you know, d- d- Dick's coming know. to the next Come issue of Corey's title. Of God, I can insult Stella, and she has to drive 14 hours to get to yes, me. Yes, okay. that is true. <laughs> There's a lot of anger there. She has to say, hey, man, you want to meet up and record at Starbucks and shiv you in the parking lot? <laughs> <laughs> with one of those little uh, brown koozies that they give you. What she, will, you know, she, will, she will put me into the Frappuccino machine. Um, no, all right. But anyways, um, yeah, thoughts. Yeah, yeah, okay. I agree, Mike. I agree with you. I feel like um, that what you've got here with the bat with Oracle and the Bat Family, it's like we're laying all the groundwork for what would be so great a few years later on. And it's little scenes like that with Tim and Barbara in the detective issue um, that we just saw that um, that I think really, really give that. Otherwise, I don't have much more else to add to what you guys had already said about uh, about, about all this. So this 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 really does be, begin a 
a, it is in the middle of a very solid run for the character, at least from what I remember reading. Like I said, it was all written by Chuck Dixon, but you know, there's one of those writers who really knew what to do with the character and, and would end up doing it for years. Yeah, I uh, well, it's going to start really a uh, can of worms have been opened and or has has been opened, and she's going to be popping up in lots of books. So certainly stay tuned for that. I uh, second Michael about just classic stories that I think any Bat fan really needs to read. But if you're looking for something that is Barbara Gordon focused and I think pays her due service, you should read Zero Hour. Just because I think if you were dissatisfied with how her character ended up in crisis, then this could potentially cleanse your palate. I just want to note that during these stories, Barbara also appears in Black Canary Volume 2, number 10, and Showcase 94, number 12. So I'm sort of skipping over them. But I'm going to be reviewing these uh, next month with a new a new co-host that I've never had on. So no, it's not Shag. And uh, Batgirl will also be appearing or beginning to appear in Batman Adventures. And I'm not yet covering that on the main show, but I'm still mm-hmm. considering how to bring them in. So everything's sort of coming to a head. Babs in the Gordon. tube in the book? I don't know. That's There are a lot of, there are a lot of segments already going. Once a, month, uh, once a month, do an episode covering like two or three issues. Good Lord. As kind yeah, of its own. Good idea. Chris, he needs a job. You could. Scott Garner likes that title. You can get Scott to do those with yeah, you. Yeah, he stopped. He was doing those like, uh, what was it, in a minute? It wasn't a minute. It was like less than five minutes he was reviewing them, I remember. And I talked to him about it. But I cannot say enough how um, I'm just so appreciative of the time that you have given me to come on here. Uh, your expertise, and as always, just a pleasure to have all of you on here. And if we could go just um, one at a time, we'll start with you, Michael. Where can we find you? How can we support you? I was going to make a joke there, but I decided against it because you just said something really nice, so I don't want to sully the moment. Um, Easiest place to find me is uh, either fortressofbailey2.com, which is my Superman blog. You can also find uh, one of the shows I do from Crisis to Crisis there. Uh, you can also go to viewsfromalongbox.com, uh, where I've been kicking out a couple episodes here and there uh, lately now that I am unemployed. And every Tuesday now, it's not Monday anymore, it's Tuesday night at 10.30, you can listen to me and Steve Eunice live over at the Superman homepage on Radio KL Live, where we have been talking about Supergirl quite a bit, as you can imagine, because yes. it's actually nice talking about something Superman-related that I like. Absolutely. So, uh, <laughs> for, for the first for the first time in forever, uh, um, music uh, and the music in this episode. But actually, a Frozen song has been sung in your last three BTO anniversaries. I, I've listened. <laughs> okay, so there's uh, there we, we go. We only apologize. You, you sang the "Let It Go" song, but you changed the words to make it about my brother not waking up. Remember? <laughs> I do. So, but um, yeah, those are, those are the main places. They've got links to my other stuff. Okay. Tom, how about you? You can find my blog 
Pop Culture Affidavit at popcultureaffidavit.com. There's an accompanying podcast to that. Uh, I cover everything random in the world of popular culture, so you'll get something different just about every episode. Uh, for Throughout most of the year, I've also been doing a miniseries on that show called Eight Years of DC Comics, which where I've been taking a look at different genres that DC has published over its history that don't involve superheroes. Uh, Stella, you were on for the Valentine's Day yep. romance comic special, and you also mm-hmm. covered an, epi- an issue of, I think, with Dale Evans. Yep. Uh, when we did, when we did uh, licensed properties, uh, so that going to try to get that wrapped up by the end of 2015, but we'll see. Uh, my other podcast is in country. I am taking an issue by issue look at the Marvel Comics series, The Nom. Um, both Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast, and In Country are available at the Two True Freaks Network, and you can find that at twotruefreaks.com. Don. I am host. I co-host with Jesse Garrett, the Next Dimension, a Dragon Ball Z podcast, and catch us soon, folks, because in the month of December 2015, we shall end the Next Dimension, a Dragon Ball Z podcast at episode 50, reviewing the most recent and final iteration of the Dragon Ball Z series, Resurrection F. You can find us at uh, dbcnextdimension.listen.com. We're also on iTunes, and we have a Facebook page and a group page. Check us out there. Uh, hurry up while it's hot because we're about to die. Um, oh, dear. I am joined by my erstwhile companions, Stella and Josh, along with our erstwhile companion, Chris, on the comic book film review. Review spelled R-E-V-U-E at cbfreview.lipson.com, where once a month we just review a movie based on a comic book uh, property. Uh, the last episode, as of this recording, we did was on the original 2000 X-Men film. And um, if everything goes right, we are set to talk about the uh, upcoming, or I guess it's already out, new Peanuts movie that's out in theaters now. We're also on iTunes and have a Facebook page as well. And I review the monthly Batgirl comic on the thebatmanuniverse.net as well as write random articles and stuff. And I also write uh, comic book-related political, and cultural essays on the hoodyutilitarian.com. And uh, that's all I do. And- that, that, is, that, that is all you do. Yeah. No other shows at all. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no other shows. What's up? Yeah, you are like that nagging wife, Josh. Jeez. Leave you can't see me right now, but my hair is in curlers, and I'm holding one of those, like, rollers in my arm. Uh, what's week? <laughs> and Josh an oversized bathrobe. And sometimes Stella uh, talk about Gotham on the Gotham Chronicle podcast. It's a talkback podcast. And um, it's, it's fun this season because this season is much better than last season. Uh, it's a wacky show, and we're a wacky podcast. Find us at thebatmanuniverse.net. We're also on iTunes. And Josh. I almost don't have to say anything because, like, <laughs> every show I'm on, Don's on, and Don said them all. Oh, he also forgot Clone Saga Chronicles, though, so I'll say that. What show? Uh, <laughs> Clone Saga. <laughs> Stella's cat's phrase for a while was like, oh, no one listens to that show, which we used in the I intro for, like, that. We used it in the intro, <laughs> uh, where we cover Spider-Man's Clone Saga with our friends uh, Zach Joyner, Gerard Delator, and Greg Brzezinski. I guess he's on the show now. Um, and uh, I do Gotham Chronicle, as we've mentioned, a fun show where we talk about you know Barbara Keen and compare her to a Muppet and talk about how Leslie Tompkins has a secret pet dragon. And it all makes sense in context, I'm sure. And uh, no, it doesn't. <laughs> yes, it sure it does. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm very excited to talk about Peanuts on Comic Book Film Review. That's good. That's going to be a great show. I've already seen the movie, so uh, can't wait for that. 
Okay, uh, to wrap up, I feel like we've had this invisible sixth member with us the entire show. Shag Matthews, of course. Oh, please and um, so no. I'm thinking, in on- yes, in honor of uh, Zero Hour, I would like each of you to choose what Earth you're on. And whatever Earth you're on, what is the form of Shag on that Earth? Is he like a villain? Is he this crazy person cousin in? So, Josh, since you're laughing, uh, what is your Earth and what is Shag like on your Earth? Wow. So I got to pull this out of my ear. Well, everyone um, does. But I thought you'd be the best at going first. Okay, I'm I'm on an Earth where um, while Al Gore was inventing the internet, um, he choked on a pretzel and died. So the internet was never invented, and uh, we all do this at like I don't know how we do this show. I guess we use like CB radios or something. And uh, but because the internet's not invented, like the world is a lot more loving. People are a lot more productive and stuff like that. But I mean, comic books don't exist either. Yeah, comic books are gone, and Shag is just, you know, um, he he never got to start the Fire and Water podcast because he didn't get one of those CB radios. So he lives in, like, you know, a cave at the top of a mountain with a long beard, just being very, <laughs> very, just being very, very grumpy all the time. But he came down when um, The Flash premiered because they had that one guy um, on his firestorm. I live in the Earth D-O-N-O where uh, – in an effort to usurp my glorious position as Stella's right-hand man on the Batgirl Oracle podcast, uh, where we review both Barbara Gordon and Cassandra Cain, uh-huh. Shag tried to outdo me by actually gaining radiation powers and becoming Firestorm. But wouldn't you know, <laughs> <laughs> what little hair he has left was burned off. <laughs> wow. And, and old Matchstick had actually burned to a, uh, a Warner Brothers-style cartoon crisp, where Michael Bailey scooped him up in a dustpan and dumped him in a, in a, in a tin bin. <laughs> Shag. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm on Earth Prime. Shag and I have been friends for like ten years. So, oh, don't tell me something. <laughs> I'm, uh, I, you know, we we we've done a lot of podcasting together. I will say that he broke my heart because uh, for years he said he didn't have enough time for me, but apparently he had time for Rob. Uh-oh. Um, and That's now he has time for Stella because I was yeah. sitting there talking to him at Dragon Con and he's texting Stella. Yeah. While he's with me. Oh dear. Well, there was that prank we were pulling on him. <laughs> yes. Which apparently you were duped because apparently I was too good. I'm like, wait, why do you? Well, at one it? point, because because here's the thing, I knew what was going on. Yes. But he was so like, I don't know if she's coming. I'm like, is she coming? Because I'm like, this is what Stella would do. Stella is quote unquote evil enough to just <laughs> hop on down here just to pop into the the lobby, go, hey everybody, and then leave. <laughs> I think Don and I fell for that prank too. We're like, "Oh, it looks like Stella's going the Dragon Con." That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think everyone on this call has actually met her in real life, so we know how yeah. sick she can be. Oh, she, yeah. She'll she'll tease a secret guest no, right I in just, front of Shag when the secret guest is sitting see, right next. I, to I her. Absolutely, but that was fine. I haven't gotten that Stella because the Stella I got to hang out with. We were all just too pissed off at the service at Chili's uh, <laughs> to really like get to where I think everybody else has gotten. So hopefully I'll be able to come through where y'all are at some point again. And yeah, Stella ambushed the kids at work when I was picking them up from school. Yeah, like, I ran like, out of a ditch. Yeah, she ran out of a ditch. And <laughs> this, had, this actually happened. What is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> Many things. Uh, Tom, what is your earth? Um, like? We're on Earth 2 because it's the 1940s. And back in the 1940s, Shag sees a woman and says, she's okay. hot. 
And that leads him into an alternate career path where now he sits around his mansion all day in a smoking jacket oh. with surrounded by women so that he can continually say she's hot. Well, it sounds like um, and Paris Hilton never existed. No, I think that that shag, you know, that is so shockingly like his real life. Yeah, it does. It does. Similar but different. I'm on Earth XY um, and it's only populated by men. So he only has the opportunity of saying he's hot. <laughs> Which is him at night. But wait, wait. If it's only men, then how are you on this earth? I'm pretending to be a man. <laughs> <laughs> you have a room style the mustache. only way to survive. No, this is like, like the movie Dragon Slayer all over again. Were you like, why? It's like the movie, every movie. <laughs> is this like the, the gender swapped Why the Last Man series? Yes, basically. Okay. Like yeah, I was thinking about maybe I should do that, but no, it would be bad because there are all these women. So only men, only men shack. Uh, again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for inviting us. It was us. our pleasure. Yeah, and happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Yep, and looking forward. Best of us for the rest of have, us. Yes, I hope you all have um, a wonderful 2016 and that uh, things go your way that year. Well, we love you, Stella. Happy anniversary. And yes. uh, we love your show and what you do and your wonderful personality. Oh. And no matter how many times you have Shaq on the show, we'll always listen to it. Okay. Okay. I never thought BTO would last one episode. Oh my heavens! Time, time was, time was <laughs> and every day that you prove me wrong is another twist of the knife. I guess it's just like I... yesterday when you and uh, Kevin were going over Batgirl Year One, and I was still an art art student in the uh, universe. Yeah, coffee's on me next time, Stella, and I don't mean that literally. It means I'm paying for it. Hey, birthday girl.
plain Barbara Gordon, masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Love a happy ending, don't you? Okay, and now I'm making the deposit at the ATM, so then all I have to do is run home like the little piglet I am. Okay. No, I mean, no, 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 no. <laughs> Don's like, I'm going to stop you right there. Exactly. We have him so well trained. You know, it's it's funny because on my screen right now, I see the two aliens from The Simpsons. I see Kang and Kodos. Uh, yeah. Pearl. Background. Pearl from uh, Steven Universe. I think at least Salty later. Pearl. <laughs> my uh, favorite the show. I, I see Batgirl and uh, Shadow Cat. Yeah. And then there's Tom with his 80s background. It's it's, it's like this. I, You're the I, coolest I, kids at the dance. I was yeah. a, <laughs> my a tribute to my former life as a high school yearbook advisor. <laughs> wow, you can certainly hear the ATM. Was was it you or somebody else who used to do like um, talk about the progress of the yearbook, but compare it to like the Death Star I, battle? I had, yeah, it was me. I had this. The, okay, I, I enjoyed my, that. You're like Porkins just died. <laughs> my 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 extended metaphor for the for the yearbook deadline kind of crunch through the through from January to about March was the Death Star trench run. <laughs> so, and last year, since it was my last year's yearbook advisor, was the whole year was Return of the Jedi. Okay, so so you had Nidnub as like your co-pilot. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite articles about that first Death Star battles, where it talks about that, like everything that went wrong is actually the fault of Vader's um, wingman. Because, like, if you watch the movie, Han Solo doesn't really do anything but shoot one of Vader's wingman. But Vader's fine. It's the other wingman who freaks out and crashes into Vader, which like causes Vader to like crash into the. Because like, the, the, there's a whole article about it, how like one guy like screwed that whole thing up. But anyway, so he's the, the millhouse. Star Wars universe. Yeah, he's he's the idiot who 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 causes the like hundred car pile up on the highway because he like <laughs> swerved to miss something that wasn't there. Inspiring Blues Brothers for years to come. <laughs> well, like, w- watch the movie again, and like, because Han like doesn't like shoot Vader. Han shoots the other guy. Like Vader could still kill Luke. Like in that moment, he was very. I don't easy. know. If I was- if I was driving with three friends and I was really concentrating and then one of them got shot uh, <laughs> and crashed, I think I'd be a little distracted at that. Greg, point. are you all right? Yeah. Greg! Okay, but, but but here's the deal. You're Michael Bailey. You have emotional attachments. This is Darth Vader. Do you think he gives a about any of those guys? You don't know, you know, you don't know how it went down. You don't, don't know. <laughs> you don't know if they were standing on the Death Star and he said, you can be my wingman anytime. And Vader turned to him and said, bull****. You can be mine. <laughs> that sounds like an 80s reference. And then, and then Anthony Edwards dies randomly. Yeah. Well, because you got you got to have you got to have a reason for Tom Cruise to get to get back in that cockpit right? to get hooked up with uh, Batman. Yeah, that's yeah, I know. The 
my wife has now taken when anybody screws up in the house that they have porkins up. Uh, so that's just her new thing now. Die, porkins, die. Is that really the character's name? Like, I know it is in the, in the movie, but like, is that his like real name in like the extended material? It, it, it's Jet Porkins, but no, no, that that wasn't his nickname in the adaptations. His his name in the adaptations was Piggy. Like if you read like the novel, if you read the novelization and the Marvel comic, like his name was like Piggy. A long time ago, in a mean and cruel galaxy far, far away. This is all going into Stella's like. "Quote unquote blooper section." Yeah, I think, I think like, Stella's out smoking uh, a cigarette right now. Oh, oh, oh she's she, she, she's just letting the cameras roll. She's like, "Yes, yes, keep talking, Porkins. Go on, go on." I'm ready <laughs> this to roll. Is all, this is all for the blooper section. Well, I wasn't section. sure if we were trying to wait for um, Don or whatever his name is, Josh, to get home. But before we do that, how overall has been your year of 2015? Because it's coming to an end. Uh, who wants to go first? Is this job. like... <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Other than that, everything's fine. Are, are, are we talking about our personal lives or like our year yeah, with Barbara it, Gordon? Oh, well, you can say Barbara Gordon or Barbara Keene, because I know you have a love and hate relationship. Barbara Keene. <laughs> Lord of mercy. She got married last night. No, she didn't. <laughs> and a bird flew out of her mouth. Yes, I know. So, so yeah. she penguined on the show. She she penguined on the show. No, pe- penguin was the priest at her wedding. It is true. I saw him on an episode of Law and Order. Uh, he was blonde, he- and getting yelled at by Thomas Wayne. So it was oh. like the perfect because ba- Linus were Cutter. Today, uh, Cutter was the DA on Law and Order at that point. So sweet. He was on Walking Dead, where he was blonde on that too. That he was, yeah. Any other any other highlights from 2015? Well, um, highlights, highlights, highlights. Uh, I, I lost went to my San Diego to, with Don and Stella. I lost my brother to graduate uh, law school, so I'm using I'm using his room to watch Blu-rays on our PS3. That Don was came place. down to the Atlanta area and didn't call. Ooh, yeah. Blame Jesse. I, I tried to uh, hang out Wait. with. Him. Jesse says, no, you must be at my wedding. Only you and you alone. So it's his fault. That's okay. Wow. I bought it's a house. It's okay. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> We're so salty. Tom had something fun. I, I moved. <laughs> he moved and at the same time beached a shark. What? <laughs> what? And Tom, Tom, my, shark my, 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 my sister's the one who deals with the beached animals up on Long Island, not me. <laughs> No, I moved and uh, went to Florida and met Marv Wolfman and started graduate school. So it's actually been a very, very busy wow. year. Was did you end uh, taking flight this year? Or was that in twenty fourteen? Oh, uh, it might have been at the very beginning of this year. How could you? You made Shag cry, which made me laugh. But besides that, it was a good podcast. Eh. <laughs> I be. <laughs> I became an uncle, so there's something. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. 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 And I so, I mean, I'll, I'll probably be gunned down and then for, like, an origin story sooner or later now. Oh, my gosh. I yeah, think and it's, Andrea it's, Beaumont's coming for you. Um, <laughs> being, <laughs> finally. Being, being gunned down is the primary reason I did not name my son Bruce, because oh. my middle name is Wayne. Oh. So my wife's like, 
well, you could have named Bruce. I'm like, do you realize that that means we're both dead when he's 10? Yikes. So. Or Dick. Or Jason. <laughs> I, got a, I got a new car you know, on the plus side. Oh, nice. Mm. Yeah. 18 years. So. Bailey's been watching uh, Doctor Who, which is awesome. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, Stella and I went to um, San Diego with Don, and we discovered strange new things about Don. That is true. Yep. Leave him alone. And lives, our lives will never be the same. And uh, as for Batgirl and the Oracle... Neither will our feet. That's true. As for Batgirl and the Oracle, it, uh, it has, I think, had the most guests on consecutively that it's ever had. Um, and just great interviews and, and fun. And six years, which is crazy. But hoping for, you know, another great year for 2016. In our current uh, community, is this one of the longest-running podcasts? What show has gone I guess Views is longer than BTO. Two True Freaks has been around since um, my mother was in college. What? Yeah, <laughs> Two True Freaks is, is about to hit the 500th episode. Yeah. I, I've done over 230 of Views, and we're about to hit 200 on From Crisis to Crisis. Yeah, mine's so. a baby in comparison. Although, but, 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 but it's like that episode of Family Guy when they came back from cancellation and talked about all the shows that had started and ended <laughs> while they've been gone. Like, like since Batgirl the Oracle has started, like, so many podcasts have, like, come and gone, you know? Let us bow our heads and remember them all, you know? Like, the, um, but not name I, them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hesitate to name them because even though it's not, like, meant to be an insult, some people might take it as an insult, but, you know? Podcast that ended. You know who you are. I'm looking at you. Um, Taking flight. Yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, oh, shit. Oh, my goodness. Shots fired. I, I, was th- I, I was thinking, like, podcast that lasted, like, three episodes or something. <laughs> you know, like... Uh, <laughs> no, no. Batman podcast. <laughs> oh, well, it, it, I mean, is well, that, that ever... necessarily is, go away. Is a Michael Bailey podcast ever truly over? Yeah, I just assume it's on a hiatus. They, they, they hibernate. They, they, they don't end. Um... Yeah, so <laughs> I was just uh, growing in the winter. I was um, recording with Jesse, and he reminded me that he and Stella used to do a Justice League uh, podcast. I was like, that "Oh yeah, Capes and Feathers, Capes and Feathers." I enjoyed that. Okay, okay. that was that came and went so fast. I never even know it existed. Wow, what are you talking about? Yeah, I that was like what? a decade ago. It was a Justice League animated series. Um, but it is but the Eddie, first Dick and no, Babs interaction. No, no, yeah, no, I was it's a Dick and Babs. I know it's 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 your shipper moment. Talk. I don't know how this happened. <laughs> then Wait, he what's going on his... here? Whoa, 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 whoa! We're not talking Nightwing Annual two here. I know, but 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 it ties into this because it takes this place is not around a safe this time. Place to talk <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't like that issue <laughs> either. But anyway, like so. Well, <laughs> that oh, yeah. killed the conversation. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I forgot how we do these things. It's uh, Bailey and Tom now, right? Yep. Tom. They both died. Of, they both died of old age. I hope not. Um, I'll have to get Shag on it. That's screw true. you, Don. Oh, God, no. um, <laughs> why, why don't you marry Shag? I, oh, I swear, he's already married. Well, you, you, continuity is all over the place, so yeah, you know maybe not. So I'm saying that there's probably a reality where there's an unmarried version of Shag. Drawn by Le- Rob Liefeld. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> With pouches. I want to read oh, the Rob Liefeld killing joke. And itty bitty feet. Yes, the feet is... Okay, you go ahead, Tom. Okay. Go ahead. okay. Would you like... Um, I can get into a twice-told tale I, if you guys I, are I ready. I still haven't gone yet. Oh, then go ahead and go. I'm sorry. Okay. 
It's okay. Okay. Yeah, it's almost over. <clears throat> anyway, um, yeah. You should go see Hunger Don't Games with that. us oh. next week. Um, he has a life and a child. Break the what? wife and child. I don't care. Yeah. yeah. No, no, seriously, honey. Seriously. I'm going to go see Hunger Games with this younger woman uh, that you don't know. I can't <laughs> possibly see how this would go wrong. <laughs> how Stella got her groove back. This I, I, will, I, I will say this, though, uh, Tom. It was really hard when you were doing your This Is Where You Can Find Me to not Michael McDonald you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm old Bob Gold, you have a David. 